This is Jocko Podcast number 173. With Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. Sure analyzed the wound. Wallen was bleeding from his neck. So he pulled out gauze and started examining the wound to assess the damage. Wallen's airway looked fine. There was no vascular damage. The medic could tell that the wound wasn't life-threatening, but the blood was still flowing. You're gonna be okay, he said, wrapping gauze on the wound. He began exerting pressure to stop the bleeding. Are you sure, Wallen asked. Yes, I'm sure. The fire was nonstop. Sure didn't think it could get much worse until he heard a frantic call from Walton on the radio. Bear, Morales, and CK had been hit, and they needed Sure up there fast. Did you hear that? Wallen asked. Yeah, I heard it, Sure, Sure said. His bleeding was minimal. I'm good, Wallen said. Go get them. Getting to Walton's team, though, posed a great risk. A medic is taught not to put himself in any unnecessary danger. He has to stay alive so other soldiers can live. But it had reached a point in the battle where he had to go. So Sure grabbed his bag and headed into the fire. And that is a passage from a book called No Way Out, A Story of Valor in the Mountains of Afghanistan by an author named Mitch Weiss. And it tells the story of the men of Operational Detachment Alpha 3336. It's a Special Forces ODA team going after a high-value target in the Shock Valley in Afghanistan. But when they got on the ground for this mission, they were in a bad tactical position. They were outnumbered. They were outgunned. But they did have one thing that could not be beaten, and that was the will to survive and the bonds of brotherhood that could not be broken. And on top of those things, there was incredible courage on display from all the men of the team, above and beyond the call of duty, and one of those men, the medic, Ron Schur, fought not only against the enemy, but fought to save the lives of his teammates. And it is an absolute honor to have Ron here with us tonight to share some of the lessons from that day in Afghanistan and from the rest of the things that he's been through and lived through on his journey through life. So, Ron, thanks for coming on, man. No, thanks so much for having me. I've you know, honestly been a fan of the show for a long time and... You know, when you guys offered, it's kind of weird to <laughs> think about coming on, but it's definitely a pleasure. Well, man, it's great to meet you. And, uh, you know, we'll get to Shock Valley, but, you know, let's let's figure out a little bit about who you were, where you came from, how you grew up. Uh, I know one interesting fact to start this thing off is that you were born on December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day. Yeah, I was born December 7th. Uh, Obviously, a few years later than uh, 1941, <laughs> but yeah, I, I grew up with that. And for some reason, my parents always thought it was a good idea to like get me news articles or or other reporting from Pearl Harbor and 
just as like a six or seven year old, like, hey, read this. Like, uh-huh. I don't know why, but yeah, it always just, you know, was was something that that we talked about as as part of my uh, my birthday and. Happy birthday! Let me tell you about Pearl Harbor, son. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and in your was your grandfather in? Your grandfather served. My grandfather did serve. He was in the the Navy, so he was in the Pacific uh, for several years. He, I'm trying to remember. Uh, he was on the smaller aircraft mm-hmm. carriers that they had mm-hmm. out in the Pacific. Um, so he was on several of those. Uh, an aircraft mechanic. Yeah. And you know, dodging kamikazes and for sure and other things. I got a bunch of books on in queue from World War II sailors in World War II it's those books are absolutely insane and what those guys lived through was horrific I, I I look at that and and maybe this is just me I don't know how you feel if given the option of being in an engine room on a on a destroyer in World War II hot sweating and by the way Kamikazes, like you said, or torpedoes are going to slam into you at any time. And there's nothing you can do about it. Versus storming the beach, I'll storm the beach all day long. Like that's me. I don't know. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. I would rather, you know, in you know, land warfare combat. Like if you're going to shoot me, I get a chance to yeah. shoot you back, and maybe yeah. this will work out my way. Maybe it works out your way. But when you throw water in and all those other yeah. other pressures, like no thanks. I'll, yeah. I'll pass. Yeah, I know. I owe. I owe it to those sailors to, to cover some of those books, man. Those are those books. But, you know, with your with your grandfather, I mean, just to live through that, I can't even imagine coming back from that, what your normal life is like after you've lived through World War II as a, as a sailor in the Pacific theater. Ugh, man, crazy. Yeah, my, my grandfather, he, he served in the Pacific. Um, my great-grandfather uh, was in World War One uh, shooting artillery. Dang. At, uh, at the Germans. Um, so we have that. Family history, and and uh, we have some family history. It goes back all the way to the Civil War. Uh, it gets a little, you know, a little more like cousin level and everything oh, okay. out there. But yeah, they we've been we've been fighting wars for this country for a long time. And then both your parents as well. My, both my parents were in the Air Force. Um, that's where they actually met. Was in the Air Force, and yeah, we've just had that family history of service. That was so. That was pretty normal. And wh- and where were they stationed? Where did you spend most of your childhood? Uh, I think like most military, you know, kids, um, you know, I was born in Alaska, but then moved to Illinois. Don't really remember any of either of those places. Uh, first place I remember is uh, Mountain Home, Idaho, which is just a tiny little place about an hour south of Boise. And then uh, from there, I, I kind of call Washington State uh-huh. home because I, I spent fourth grade on growing up in Washington State. Oh, okay, so a big chunk of time there. Yeah, my... My dad ended up retiring in, I want to say, 91 from okay. the Air Force, and then we just kind of stayed there afterwards. And then, and you were the only child? Yeah. So that means those those birthdays were especially heavy, right? <laughs> it was like pure celebration. <laughs> I got four kids. I know you got two kids. I got four kids, and you, know, you can have a birthday, and you don't even – am I a bad parent? I don't know. Probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because a birthday, oh, you know, oh, are we doing anything for my birthday? I don't know. When's your birthday? Today? Oh, okay. Anyways. And, and well, so you, you, <laughs> my wife blows it out for our kids' birthday. She's she's great at that. Yeah. I oh, just kind of go along for the ride. Yeah, and my wife does a much better job than I do as well. Mm-hmm. I'm the 
person that's looking at the whole situation saying, what is this stuff hanging up for? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did I get him for his birthday? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, so going to school, were you, were you playing sports? What were you doing? What was your gig in, in, in school? Uh, I played the usual sports growing up, you know, soccer, baseball. Um, what I really kind of gravitated, gravitated towards as, a, as I kept growing up was your endurance sports. So I started, my dad was doing triathlons, so I started doing mm. that. Oh, and your dad was doing triathlons, huh? Yeah, he did the, he did many triathlons. He did the Canadian Ironman a couple times. Dang. And so kind of grew up watching that. So I started with the triathlons in high school and then pretty quickly switched over to just cycling, road road racing, mm-hmm. cycling. And I don't know, I think, I think those, you know, four or five, six hour days on a bike got me ready for uh yeah, because you know, it's just, training. It's just I didn't pure know it pain on a bike, right? <laughs> right. I've never raced a bike before, but I know guys that race bike, and it's just pain. It's just how much pain can you take, right? Basically, yeah, just you a long stretch of road, and you just keep on riding. <laughs> <laughs> and and apparently, you got in some kind of crash biking. Uh, well, several times. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I know that I know that uh, there's a little disruption in your plans because you get done with high school and you want to join the Marine Corps, or you get done with college, you want to join the Marine Corps. Okay, so yeah, I I went to Washington State University, was getting ready to graduate in the spring of 2001, and so started talking to a Marine Corps uh, officer recruiter. Mm-hmm. Um, went through that process. How did your mom and dad feel about that? They Cause, were. Cause let's face it, Air Force is one side of the spectrum. Marine Corps is on the other side <laughs> of the spectrum. <laughs> at least, at least I was gonna. I was talking about the officer side on uh-huh. there. When I later said, "Hey, I'm joining the Army," enlisted, then they just they just lost it. Then they're like, <laughs> "What are you doing? You just." <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was getting ready to graduate Washington State. Um, started talking to the Marine Corps. And went through the process. We basically that was was accepted through the Marine Corps program to go to OCS starting in October of two thousand one. That's awesome. Um, but the Navy Medical Board had seen um, what they thought was a flag on my my medical records from being hit by a car in nineteen ninety five, and so I ended up spending a day in the hospital back then with pancreatitis, which usually would be considered related to drug abuse, alcoholism, just something serious, or you mm-hmm. have some serious medical condition. Mm-hmm. And uh, so because of that, they told me no in August of 2001 Ugh. that now we're, we're good, we don't, we don't need anybody. Um, so yeah, kind of got so, le- left so, out to dry there and then. So then what was your plan? Uh, from there I started a graduate school. Uh, in what economics. did you get your original degree in? Uh, it was business economics. Did you did, were you getting that degree, but you knew you wanted to go in the military? I mean, you you or did you get done with your degree and say, "Oh no, what am I going to do now? Maybe I'll go in the Marine Corps." <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> um, so, service was definitely always a part of our our family life growing up, and so it was definitely in the back back of my mind. I, I needed to give back, do something for the country. Um, Never quite knew what, and then yeah, trying to go to OCS mm-hmm. just seemed like something to to do for a while and give back. And then when that didn't work out, I started uh, graduate school. 
to use that as kind of a reset time mm-hmm. like figure out okay mm-hmm. that's not working out now what can i do and you know it was a few weeks into that that uh, 9-11 happened and then we had to revisit revisit the decisions again mm-hmm. and so then what did you do once what's uh september 11th happened uh so i was in graduate school for for economics and um and i'm spending spending that first year uh continuing with the education and just watching, watching it on TV mm-hmm. and just didn't feel right to just sit there and watch it. Um, so try to figure out what, what made sense at that point to, to do. And then for some reason, enlisting in the army sounded like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, uh, summer of 2002, I went down to an army recruiter and of course, that time they're oh, like sure we'll, we'll take it we can we can scratch that <laughs> we don't care what medical conditions that, uh, you have just good. sign this over here <laughs> now did you did you know you wanted to try for sf at that point um they they talked to me about going in with a sf contract and it definitely sounded interesting but i know part of me just didn't feel like, like, oh, that I could be an SF guy because mm-hmm. I mean, I grow up just like everybody. Mm-hmm. You're watching Rambo. You're watching other things. Like, that's what a Green Beret is. Like, yeah. I certainly don't don't fit that mold. <laughs> um, but so they they talked about that. But I was like, well, let me get in. Let me get some experience mm-hmm. in the military, and then uh, we'll go from there. So I I signed up to be a medic. Who did basic training. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I'm forgetting the name right now. Fort Jackson, mm. South Carolina, and then went off to Fort Sam Houston, and then went to Airborne School. And along that way, I got, I ended up getting myself a, a Ranger contract mm. to try to go to the 75th Rangers. So at some point, you you realized, all right, I'm going to step up and and try and go to a little bit more special operations type. Uh, something got in your head at some point. Yeah, something got in my head. Um, and if I remember correctly, I think it was orders to Korea. <laughs> I think that was my the the first thing that came through. I was like, oh, let me see what else I can do. So I <laughs> I um, talked to the recruiters, got got the uh, the ranger. Um, I don't know if it was a contract at that point, but I got mm-hmm. that set up. So it might be different now. But after after airborne school. You know any infantry guys or or medics or whoever's trying to go to to the ranger. I mean, you you'd go out the next day, wait on the little lines out there at Airborne School, and they'd come by. They'd look through your paperwork, pick you up, and then take you mm-hmm. take you over. So they come out, they start flipping through everybody's stuff, and they get to mine and they start looking at my paperwork, which is still the same paperwork from trying to do the Marine Corps. OCS thing and so it's of course a disaster it's you know not physically qualified but then there's like lines through that and waivers and arrows and just nonsense Um, but they look at that and they're like well you're not not physically qualified to be here Mm -hmm. and so they just kind of dropped my paperwork took everybody else and left me left me standing there Um, so now I had to revisit (laughs) Uh, what to do again 
So I ended up spending a few weeks sitting there airborne school, just kind of being, you know, a little, you know, whatever they needed done that yeah. sucked, they'd, they'd make me do uh, while I waited on new orders to go somewhere. Um, so yeah, we did. I did that for a little while, and I finally got orders uh, up to Fort Bragg to uh, go to the 44th Medical Command. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while I was, you know, packing up all my stuff, head up to Fort Bragg. Unfortunately, uh, my my medical records got lost along the way. Did you say fortunately? Un- unfortunately. Oh, I mean, got it. I'm, I'm a specialist in the <laughs> Army, you know. I, I don't want to lose stuff and show up, but it, it got lost yeah, along the way. Yeah, bummer. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Got my medical paperwork redone. None of that. Wow. Uh, none of those waivers Crafty. or anything. <laughs> Got all that situated. Um, reported to my unit on, I think it was a Thursday, some Thursday in, in August. of that had been 2003 at that point. Uh, and that's because those, those Army, the medic schools are a long time, basically. So that at this point, you'd been through boot camp, Army boot camp, and then you went to or to be a medic, how long is the training to be a uh, like an infantry medic? Uh, the medic course was four months. Yeah, okay. So I yeah did basic. I did the the medic school, and then yeah an airborne school, and then that interim time while they try and figure out something to do with me. Mm-hmm. And so I showed up to my my unit and after you in process in August of two thousand three. Um, you know that first day we do PT. Then the first sergeant calls me in, like, "Hey, what do you want to do with your your life?" I'm like, plan on putting in an SF packet, try this, <laughs> try something else again, and and again, the thing that's dri- what's driving you to do that? Like, did you see some SF guys? Did you talk to some SF guys? Did you watch Rambo again? <laughs> what was the uh, <laughs> what was the persuading factor? I don't know. I think it was a mixture of. A lot of different emotions and like I, I'd had nothing to validate my feelings because I was just some specialist in the army but uh-huh. I was like I think I'm pretty good at this stuff mm-hmm. so let me let me try and push myself a little bit harder and try and yeah. find something else to do so I I put in for SF there's a guy named Travis Mills you ever heard of Travis Mills He's an awesome guy, mm-hmm. but he he, we, he was on the podcast and and he's a he's a quadruple amputee and he's like the uh, got the the damn spirit of a, of a freaking like the ultimate human being warrior. But anyways, when he was growing up, he played varsity football and basketball, whatever. He played every sport. He broke all these records. He was this big strapping guy, to, like a total stud. Just, mm-hmm. just a total stud. And, you know, I asked him, I said, well, you know, how come you didn't try for Rangers or something? He's like, oh, he, he's like I did, or why didn't you try for Special Forces? He's like, I, did, I didn't think I could make it. And there's like this thing where, like for me, I, I'm, I'm one-eighth of the athlete and the physical specimen that Travis Mills is, but I was just dumber. <laughs> I was just dumb enough to say, oh, I think I can make it through this training. Bring it on, you know. He was too smart to, to say, you know, he was too smart. He was too humble, really, too humble because I had some level of arrogance. I mean, I think there's a difference between – because that happens 
on a fairly regular basis. You know, special operations and special forces has this kind of mythical buildup where people start to think, well, I don't know if I can actually make it through that. It's gotta be so hard. Whereas I'm always looking at people like, oh, you were a wrestler? Or, oh, you played football, varsity football in your high school? Or you you swam on the swim team or whatever? You'll be fine, like you can do it. But people build it up to that mythical level that you don't think you can make it. So I, the reason I was asking that is because it sounds like you made a transition from, I don't know if I can do that, and then once you're there and you're looking around, you're going, you know what, I think I can actually do that. You got. You either got dumber. <laughs> Let's go or, with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you just got more, you know, a little and that's what I think it is. I think it is, you know, you see you see yourself in comparison with everyone else that's there and you go, Oh, okay, cool. I, I'm I'm hanging with these guys. I can probably make this happen. So no, that's cool. That's cool. Um Yeah, and so in say so now we're talking uh that fall two thousand three, so Afghanistan's role in Iraq is is going uh, at that time the the unit I was in the it was a medical support company they weren't even supposed to deploy I think the calendar had them going in like 2005 so like oh, you're like that's a lifetime I, away I came all the way here <laughs> to not go anywhere so so I, I put in for selection we got uh, we got got those medical uh, records redone so I could go. Um, so I went in January of 2004 to selection, and oh, we can obviously talk about that more. But when I came back, then my unit is all in desert camouflage uniforms, and like, mm. you guys, you guys going somewhere? <laughs> and they're like, well, things changed in those three weeks. You were gone. We're going in like four weeks. Oh dang! So, so you went to special. So they send you. Do they send you like TAD to special forces selection? Is that what happens? Like temporary? They don't transfer you there permanently. They just send you for a C- correct for the for the three week selection process. You just get temp orders over. You do your thing. If you get selected, then you wait for orders to go full time to the Q course. And then that initial selection is just like a beat down. Yeah, three weeks. Um, you know, probably not that different than most selections for different soft units around the world. Bunch You're gonna walk in the woods right. with heavy bags, get lost, and then we're gonna make you carry heavy stuff. And I remember logs, a lot of logs <laughs> that needed carried. Apparently, they they didn't belong over here; they belonged over there. <laughs> uh, How'd you do in that? Did you feel all right? Uh, I mean, honestly, uh, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. So I, I obviously passed. I got mm-hmm. selected, but I didn't feel like I was where I wanted to be for that process. Um, it definitely beat me up more than I thought it should, and it it helped reset me. So I spent the next couple of months when I was getting ready for those orders, really resetting the way I was training, was mm-hmm. getting getting myself mentally prepared for it. And so once I got to... Uh, the phase two of the mm-hmm. course, I thought that was how actually, old were you? You were a little older because you did college and. I mean, this was 2004, so I was at that point 25. Dang, was that older for maybe 26? The group yeah. that was going through, uh, not for not, not for special not, not forces. For um, I was definitely one of the oldest guys at basic training. Yeah, yeah uh, for when, sure. when I was going through, but. For for special forces, it tends to be those older guys who've been in the yeah. the army for a little while have 
have seen stuff, got some experience, mm-hmm. and then decide they wanted to explore some different routes. So you come back from the initial selection course, and all your guys are in desert camping. They're getting ready. so. Did they end up deploying quickly? They deployed a couple of weeks later. Dang. Uh, the did they the, deploy to Iraq or Afghanistan? They went to Iraq. Did they did, did they did they run the cash in Baghdad? <laughs> some of them were they're out east doing. I want to say they were doing prisoner. Huh. Uh, you know, detainee support operations or whatever out there at some of the prisons. Um, but luckily, uh, my company commander pulled me in in uh, their office and basically said, "Yeah, you're on these orders. But if you wanna, if you wanna go pursue something else, I see some value in that. So if you wanna go, you can go." And so, so your company commander took care of you and said, "You can go to the Q course." Yeah. That's awesome. You know what's cool about that is that guy just leaves a good impression on you about the army. You know what I mean? I always think that when I was a young enlisted guy and somebody could either, you know, maybe screw you over as a hard term, but you know, some could either like look out for you or just kind of let the big green machine do its thing. And when someone actually looks out for you, it just gives you such a much better appreciation and and connection to you know, like I had guys that looked out for me when I was a new guy, and I always that that just heightens your commitment to the team. You know that there's people like that. Whereas the people that try and you know, oh, you're just going to do this anyways. Needs of the Navy. That's what they say. The, in the in the Navy, they say needs of the Navy. Yeah, oh, those are the needs of the Navy. So, <laughs> well, and, you're going to get some. And so after my company deployed, basically our our battalion had four companies: two deployed, two stayed behind. So we kind of fell under the two that had stayed behind. And there were some people over there who had that attitude of, you think you're better than us? Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't. I'm just trying something different. And so they made life interesting for a little while. But we got through it. (laughs) (laughs) And and then so what did you train? What did you change differently about your training? You learned from selection, like, okay, I need to work on humping a ruck more or whatever. What was the what were the big things that you learned you needed to work on? Uh more weight and moving faster. I mean, not to, um, it's, it's pretty simple, yeah, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not a big guy. I'm five, six. At the time I went to selection, I think I was about 135 pounds. Dang. So you, you put on that weight and it's, it's a lot. So I, I put on some more weight. I just got a little more used to, to moving with that. And because you got to carry, doesn't matter if you weigh 220 pounds or 120 pounds, you got to carry the same weight. Right. Yeah, the packing list is what it is. The minimum weight for the day is what it is. Doesn't matter if you're six foot three or or five foot six. You're just gonna go get some. Mm-hmm. And then, how was the Q course? The Q course itself, I, I thought was really really good course. Um, I thought it I thought it did a great job getting you ready for you know, things I had no experience in. Uh, so it's all it's all changed around a little bit. Uh, since then, but so for me, when I showed up, you go through a small unit tactics uh, portion, basically learn how to, you know, be an infantryman, which mm-hmm. from from being a medic, I mean, I had the basic training experience, but I didn't know anything really about that. So we spent about a month and a half actually learning how to move with, with a, a small unit, you know, just the basic military drills, break mm-hmm. contact, initiate ambushes, those things. And then from there, we started the medical course, which for 
SF Medics is a is a year. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, just learning every single thing they could teach us in a year. You know, of course, trauma medicine was heavily enforced, and then you know, just all the weird and random diseases you might see around the world. I I actually met my future wife during the medic course, um, and so when I'd go see her on the weekends. I'd pull out, you know, medical manuals and be like, all right, start, you know, start grilling me on these things. And so she'd pretend she had whatever random disease you could get and date from night. around the world. It was, it was pretty fun date nights, you know. <laughs> I don't know why she, she put up with it, but she did. And um, So where were you when you were, where is that chunk of the course take place? Because that's, that's 18 Delta, right? Yeah. You're 18, going through the 18 Delta. 18 Delta course. Um, all the SF, cor- the Q course was all all based at Fort Bragg. So I was already at Fort Bragg. So really, I just had to move across post when I started. And then. Are they, when you're going through 18 Delta, are they still, are you still doing tactical, physical evolutions? Or is it like really starting to get focused on classroom, really focused on the the the, the medical aspect of stuff? There's a lot of classroom stuff because they got a lot of yeah you got to learn they got, a lot, they got of, a lot stuff. of stuff to teach you but they do they also do a great job of pulling you out in the woods and um, can't remember all the different segments of the course we have a combat trauma lanes you have just so many different portions where you get used to you know training people out in out in the dirt and I remember. Uh, so I think I started that course in August, September of 2004. And so you know, we're rolling through the winter and I, I still distinctly remember being out in the woods in January when it's like 15 degrees and you're the patient. And you know, like somebody's, there. somebody's working on you, you know, to, to practice and you're like, please do it faster so I can, I can get out of this. Cause you know, you, how do you treat a patient who's wounded? You have to expose. Remove his clothes. <laughs> so they'd be going through stuff and they'd be like, you know, you know, do you feel this or do you feel that? And like the patient's saying yes, but no, I don't feel that because my, my feet are frozen right now. Um, but so it was, it was a great course. Um, we did two one-month blocks where you go out to hospitals around uh, the country and work in the ERs or work with uh, anywhere in the hospital, mm-hmm. OB, just different aspects. Uh, go to the local fire houses, ride on the ambulances, get those experiences. Um, so, Yeah, the the medical training that the, and, and the SEALs used to go to 18 Delta, our SEAL corpsmen used to go to 18 Delta. Yeah, they, they don't were, anymore, now they have a separate course. Okay. but. The training that they got and the training that that the that course provided is just awesome training. I mean, it's legendary, awesome training. And who knows how many lives have been saved because guys went through that that block of training and were just so good. And at doing all this stuff under a poncho at night, stopping bleeding, working on you know healing people with all kinds of you know in inclement weather in the dirt, like you said, all that stuff. There's the the training that they prepped our medical guys for was phenomenal. Yeah, I, 
I was super impressed. Having been a medic before and then kind of stepping it up a level yeah. like that, it was it was really really nice to see where we're going to take a year. We're going to really take our time, teach you everything you need to know from the ground up. Um, yeah, and just continue to build those basics, you know, from starting early on with, you know, classes, sticks and rags. Like, okay, everything else is going to be great. We're going to teach you that stuff. But, you know, sometimes this is what literally just a stick and a rag, you can stop a lot of stuff. You can save a lot of people as long as you've had that experience. And then, of course, moving on later to use like hemostatic agents, you know, to like quick clot or something mm-hmm. to really stop by like – Okay, this is easy now because <laughs> I had to stop it last week with literally go find a stick and cut up, a cut pair up some of clothes, socks or whatever, yeah, a t-shirt. Now you're giving me actual materials. Like, okay, I got this. Going back to the Q course, the initial kickoff of the Q course. Was there anything that you had major issues with? What do you mean, like major? When you were going through not selection but through the Q course, was there anything that you were like, oh, I'm not going to make it through this? I'm gonna fail this, I'm not good enough at this. Like for me, I wasn't really good at anything. (laughs) I was like, everything that I did, because basically every week going through SEAL training, you get tested on, you get a timed run, you get a timed swim, you get a timed obstacle course, and then there's usually some kind of a water evolution that they're gonna test you on, whether it's underwater knot tying or life-saving or breath hold or whatever. They've got these evolutions for you and they're stacked up. And that's one of the biggest pressures that that I felt going through was if you, for me, like to to pass a four mile timed run, which when I went through the the runs were not four miles. They were however long they happened to be that day. They might be 3.8, they might be 4.6. No one knew, soft sand, high tide. And I failed one run. because I decided I was gonna pace myself and mm-hmm. that was not smart. And after that one run that I failed, I just had to go as hard as I could for the whole time. I just had to sprint as hard as I could and then I'd pass. And it was kind of the same thing for everything. Like I just had to go hard. But you know, I was worried that, oh, I might fail another swim, I might fail. Was there anything where you were thinking to yourself, man, if I don't, if I don't pay attention, I might not make it through this training? Uh, I'll say any of the any other time we were out in the woods doing infantry stuff because I just I didn't have that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked my butt off trying to learn, trying to pick up, follow the guys. Like, okay, that guy has been to ranger school. He he's done this. He's done. He's already done a combat deployment. Let me yeah. Let me hang out a little closer to that guy and see see what he does when we're setting up a patrol base. Those kind of things. Um, but honestly. I, I, I think like a lot, a lot of people, I have that two sides of the, the coin on me. Like I have that little bit of dumb arrogance. Like I think I can do this, but then I also have that. I don't belong anywhere near these guys. Like these guys are, you know, they've yeah. been there. They've actually done that. I What have I done? Um, so I, I was always trying to find that balance internally of, yeah, I can do this yeah. or, or, or no, I can't. I guess that's a big difference between when you go through SEAL training, pretty much everyone's going through training is not been, not done anything before. 
So even because you might have been in the regular Navy, but even most guys haven't even been in the regular Navy. Most guys are just you go through boot camp, you go through prep course, and then you go show up at buds, and that's it. That's that's what you do. So there's no you're not looking at anyone going, "Oh, this guy, this guy's done stuff before" or anything like that. And also, you're not doing anything it, in in basic SEAL training. You're just there's no tactical. There's there's barely any tactical knowledge being taught at all. It's like carry this boat on your head for a long time and it's going to hurt a lot. And then when it hurts a lot, keep going. Right. And I mean, <laughs> SF definitely has that aspect too. Like if, if we find the right people, we can train you at any point on what we want you to do, but we just got to make sure, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to quit on us. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think just along the way, I was just, I was too stubborn to, to quit. <laughs> definitely i definitely wanted to all the time but you know i wasn't going to give him the satisfaction yeah and then so so then you get done with that you get done with the q course you get done with 18 delta and then when do you get when do they give you your green beret so uh for us um i ended up finishing the entire q course in may of 2006 um so i'd done selection in january of 2004 had a couple month break while I waited on orders. Started the Q course proper in June of 2004. And then May of 2006 is when I, I graduated. Dang, that's a long pipeline, isn't it? It's a long pipeline. That's, that's, that's the way that, it is. That's zero recycles. That's yep. zero getting injured. That's just that's just what it is. Um, all the other jobs are, they teach you the job in about three months, whereas the medic, they teach it in... 12 months mm-hmm. so everybody else can be that much shorter than than our pipeline uh but so it was may uh, that's when i got the green bray graduated the the q course got my orders over to a third group did you were you married did you get married yet so i uh, graduated the q course in may of of 2006 right yeah and so i got that couple week break before reporting to my unit, mm-hmm. uh, my wife and I got engaged mm-hmm. then. So I reported over to third group towards the end of June of 2006. And they say, hey, go over to third battalion. They're going to get you slotted. Third battalion's like, hey, go to Charlie Company. And I show up to Charlie Company 3-3, and there's, there's nobody there. Like, like, am I the first guy here? <laughs> like, what's going on? And... Uh, there, there was one guy in there, and he was like, oh, everybody's on block leave because we're going to Afghanistan in a couple weeks. So I went home, uh, told Miranda uh, the situation, and so we, we didn't get a quickie marriage, but we didn't want to have to try and plan while I was gone. Yeah. And then there's also those aspects of, you know, the military doesn't give a damn about the some girlfriend, girlfriend nope. or a fiancé or Girlfriends anything. don't count. And so we, you know, we decided, you know, she wants, you know, an actual wedding ring, an actual dress, you know, I, you know, these few things. Can we get them done? We got it done. So we got married and then. Uh, you, so you didn't do a quick wedding, but you got married in two weeks. But, but it was like three weeks. <laughs> That's awesome. It was, you know, it wasn't like a, a lope runaway kind yeah, of thing. Because yeah. uh, we'd been together a year and a half at that point. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't quick, but it, it was it was pretty quick. Uh, That's awesome. 
you know. Did your did your family? Uh, how'd you tell your family? That uh, text message. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, the texts really weren't that big because you had to type so many buttons, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, to, yeah, to send a message. Um, so we ended up bringing uh, her parents, uh, my parents. Oh, that's awesome! And, they actually came down. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, we actually went. Where do you do a non quickie quick marriage? Vegas. So we all kind of met up there. Oh, so uh, so you did a Vegas wedding. <laughs> And, and we're still going, I mean, what, this summer will be 13 years strong. That's awesome, man. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so we got married. Did, um, you, did you request permission from your uh, sergeant to get married? I did not. <laughs> I, I didn't even meet him. I just he went on. He let you out of the compound. <laughs> I, I just went on because nobody was there, so they just put me, as soon as I showed up, I went right back on leave, kind of got married, and then it showed back up, did some training, and then met a bunch of guys. For the first time, and deployed for seven months with him. Dang, and and what was that first deployment like? Uh, the first deployment was compared to my second deployment. It was it was fairly tame. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, from fall two thousand six into two thousand seven time frame in Afghanistan, we were we were working with the the Afghans, you know, doing the SF thing, partner mm-hmm. with them, train them, take them out on missions. Uh, I don't know. We just, we, we just ended up in uh, Gardez, Afghanistan, and for some reason it was just hard to find trouble. Then, I mean, obviously things ebb and flow in different areas, yeah. and but just at that time we really couldn't find too much work. So, were you guys? You guys were training up these uh, Afghan National Police and building relationships with them, and then you'd go out and do some kind of missions with them. But the AO that you were in was relatively tame at the time. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we work with the the army and the and the police, just training them up, trying to get them ready to take over their country. That's the SF mission: is to yeah. you know, train you up so you can do the job, and I can I can go home. Um, you know, obviously, all SF guys want to be the guy to go in and you know blow up the doors and go in and clear it all yourselves. But the SF mission is to you know get somebody else to go do it for themselves. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a, for those of you that don't know. That's the that that is the tenant. The the bit that's the mission of the of the special forces of the Green Berets is to work with the whatever nation you're in. You build up their forces. You help them. You train them. Prepare them, and and then you advise them out on the battlefield. And hopefully, with the goal of allowing them to eventually not need your advisement anymore. That's what that's what the primary mission of the special forces is. And. Well, in the SEAL teams, we end up doing that as well. Uh, you know, we, I don't know, uh, I'm trying to think of when we actually started getting tasked with that, but you know, we, that's what we do now too. You know, we probably, we lean towards, you know, direct action and special reconnaissance. That's kind of where we le- le- lean towards, you guys lean more towards, you know, training up guerrilla forces. Um, but there's a lot of crossover and, and all of us do everyone else's job to the best of our ability. But, did you did you feel like the deployment was like what was your satisfaction? What was your personal satisfaction level of that deployment? Uh, I I think like most SF guys, you've just gone through a long train up. You've got all this experience. You're you're raring to go, and that deployment. I mean, it was a good trip, but it was it was a little quieter than I think most of the team would have liked. You know, if you're going to be gone. And you're gonna miss your family for seven months. 
So would you guys, would you take them out to hit targets? And there just would be, you'd capture your bad guy or yes or no, but they weren't putting up resistance? Yeah, we, 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 we did villages. We, we would go, we caught plenty of bad guys. Um, just they, at, at that point, I don't know. I think it was just kind of at a weird point in the war where the bad guys really, they could quickly spot this is SF and they didn't really want too much to do with us. So they just, you know, we'll pass today. We'll find, we'll find another unit to attack. Um, but yeah, it just, yeah, we caught, we caught guys. They just always went pretty, pretty quickly. I mean, we, we got in, we had to get into a, a you know, a couple, yeah, just a couple contact mm-hmm. over there, but it was, yeah, overall it was just kind of, a kind of quiet area at the and time. And was it winter time? So we showed up there in August of 2000. Six and we oh, stayed okay. till March of two thousand. I want to say March of two thousand seven. So yeah, it was is that winter when yeah. you kind of have that lull, anyways, yeah. of the the winter time. Yeah, and like you said, I mean things just go up and down, cycles go up and down. People, the enemy gets agitated or they get beat down and they take a tactical breath for a few months or whatever. And then you come home from that deployment, and. You're, so then what happens? What's the life of an SF guy when you come home from that deployment? You're going to start a workup to get ready to play again? Yeah, we already knew when we were going again. Um, <clears throat> basically, the at the time, there was three battalions. They ended up standing up a fourth battalion in, in the group. So kind of two battalions would be on the next rotation. One would be down. And so it just happened that my battalion had two, two uh, back-to-back, so to speak. So we had seven on and seven off and then seven on again so we, we knew right away as soon as we got back when we're going and, and then do you do you try and cram in a, a quick workup into that time period of course so you know you got back so you got to first refit get everything resituated make sure make sure uh you know all the stuff you broke is is fixed uh kind of you know take a little bit of time just to decompress and then start the train up and you know we got got a few new guys in on the the team uh, we've got a new team sergeant we got got a new uh, team leader a couple other new guys and you know just getting everybody ready getting on the same page um honestly we, we the the team sergeant we got then uh, scott ford he was mm-hmm. great coming from he'd come from some training he'd come from some some dis- different sf teams that had been over uh, to Iraq and Afghanistan and had been there, you know, early on in the war when it was it's a lot. So he he put us through a lot of training, got mm-hmm. us got us much more prepared than we were prepared for the first trip, but we were even better for the second one. And yeah, we finish up that training, do a little bit more. How uh, the boys rest- like that when you had the 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 new team sergeant coming in and he's all fired up to push you guys hard in training. Was there any pushback from that? Uh, of course, all of us are, you know, SF guys and a little bit like, you know, even though he's a team sergeant, he's been around forever. Like, uh-huh. oh, who's this new guy coming on the team trying to tell us all what to do? Like, but, you know, it didn't take very long to see, like, okay, he's got all this great experience yeah. in, in the training that he's putting us through was 
was definitely getting us hurt, getting us ready. And, and how much how much support do you guys get for training? So do they do? Are you going through organized training? Or are you guys running all the training yourselves? It's the company does coordinate some stuff, but most of it's just at the team level. So, you know, the team sergeant's kind of in coordination with the team leader is kind of guiding the team mm -hmm. what, where they want them to be. But then, you know, as SF is broken down, you have your, your weapon sergeants who are, you know, supposed to be your weapons experts. You have your engineers who, you know, handle the demolitions and, and those things, your communications guys and your medics. And so depending on the day, it might be my day to teach. So I'm going to get two days this week to just put everybody through a mini medical course, get mm -hmm. them get them ready just in case, you know, something happens I can't get there or something happens to me or something like that. Um, so everybody everybody is a subject matter expert and just kind of tries to tries to lift that whole whole team up to be the best they can be there's no obviously each job is the best at their job yeah. but you, you want to know as much as you can yeah. about everything so that way you know when things go wrong and at that point it was kind of still theoretical to me but yeah when things went wrong Okay, I can handle this. Mm -hmm. And then you guys already knew when you were going on deployment. And you, did you know where you were going on deployment as well? I don't remember when we found out what our next mission was. I can't remember if it was early on or it was late on. I think it was fairly early on mm -hmm. in our buildup um, that we knew we were going to be working this time with the Afghan commandos, which was a fairly new thing at the time. It was... Right around that time that the SF teams had just started, okay, we're going to go through selection for the Afghan army. We're going to get the best we can. We're going to train them up, and we're going to start building these Afghan commando battalions, and they're going to you know, be the SF of yeah. Afghanistan. So I, I can't remember exactly when, but we knew we were going to be par partnering with those guys to do a little bit more of this trip. So, you, so your expectation was that things were going to be a little bit hotter on the second deployment? Correct. Did you believe that as a, as like a one cruise wonder guy that don't done one deployment? Are you like things are going to be hotter, or were you just thinking, hey, it's going to be the same as last time? Uh, I I think we all thought it was going to be a little bit more mm -hmm. this trip, just because my first trip it was you kind of had a a little bit more of a, a region that your team was so. It just depends on what your region is doing. Got it. Whereas, Whereas this, the commandos could go anywhere. The commandos, they were still fairly new, so there wasn't that many. So over the course of the second, my second deployment, we spent time in eastern Afghanistan. We spent time down in Kandahar. We spent time just going wherever they needed another battalion because, like I said, there wasn't very many. They were training them up, but it, it takes a little while to get, get guys trained up. Mm -hmm. So you go on deployment, you show up there, and you start working with the commandos. How, how was your relationship with the commandos? How 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 good were the commandos as you trained them? Uh, they were they were much better than than you know a non selected mm -hmm. force. I, I think that's just you know as to be expected. Um, you're still going to have those. You know variances in in your yeah. in your troops, yeah. but definitely felt more comfortable. So they were with, they were a fairly capable crew. I 
they were better. <laughs> Check. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> and so you're out there working with these guys. What type? What types of missions were you doing? Just basically going after high value targets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we would would get intel uh, on a high value target. We, you know. Trying to again going back to trying to train them to do mm-hmm. the job for their country, so we'd work with their the the team leader for the team would start working with the you know the the command level over there. Okay, right. this is the objective. How how do you how would you take it? And then they would kind of coordinate yep. on a battle plan. Um, for me, you know, I'd make sure their medics, you know, were were training up, getting getting ready, and then. You know, when it came time for an actual mission, then each one of us would have a squad or or maybe a few extra. Which is how big is an Afghan commando squad? They were they're built around the, the same premise as a as a an army, mm-hmm. you know, light infantry unit. So you'd have you know nine, ten dudes. Um, just depending on what what kind of squad yeah, yeah. you had with you on any given day. And so then you would be running your squad of Afghan commandos. Once you're out in the field, you would, whatever, the, whatever just from a, you're no longer just the medic. You're now a, a little squad advisor for these Afghan commandos. Yeah, the 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 medic piece is always there yeah, yeah. For, for 18 Delta, but you know, best medicine is superior firepower. So if we can, if we can check, if we can go in, we hit them with overwhelming force. Everybody's good. We win. We talk about how tough we are, and then we go home. And, yeah. And uh, so yeah, the primary role is to, you know, advise that squad leader on on how things are going, and then you know we also bring all the other assets that the U.S. military comes right, with. Right. All that. You know whether it's helicopter coverage or aircraft coverage, so we can we're getting those you know that that extra intel that we can then push to these guys and be like, hey, this is going on, this is not going on, let's yeah. let's fix this. Yeah, no, for me, I think I just wanted to kind of bring that out because it's it's pretty cool when you think about it. You know, you're a, you could be this young soldier and you're out there and all of a sudden you're working, you're you're an element leader. You're, you go from just being a medic. Or just being the demo guy, or just being the communicator. All of a sudden, it's like, hey, you know what? Now you're doing that thing, but you're also going to be advising, which in oftentimes means you're actually leading this squad of commandos, and you're making sure that they're making the right moves. So that's a very cool aspect of the job, in my opinion. You know? Yeah, it was when you could see them getting better. It was definitely very rewarding, and as as you see them start to take more initiative and start to to you know be up front with you like okay that's that's cool to see because i've been working with this guy for a while and <laughs> i remember one mission we were doing down in in kandahar they we ended up getting infilled and we start looking at our our grg the grid reverence or the you know our little map mm-hmm. to see where we are and we're looking at it and it's 1 a.m 2 a.m whatever it is and we're like I have no idea where we are. We're not on this map. <laughs> so, um, but we hear some gunfire and we're like, let's go that way, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so uh, I have uh, one, one of the interpreters with, with me, one by Blade, because you know, they, they all want to mm-hmm. 
not give out their real names in, in these situations, but you know, Blade, I'm like, Blade, hey, let's get this, let's get the troops, let's start moving towards gunfire and see what happens. And we start moving, we're doing our thing. And at one point I look back and Blade's right there on my shoulder, he's doing his thing. And I'm like, Blade, where is everybody? <laughs> and they had hunkered down <laughs> kind of a couple train features back, I'm like, well, we gotta go get them. <laughs> so, but so you start there and then, you know, over time, the yeah. gap shortens a little bit right, right, right. to, uh, yeah, ideally where they're leading. Yeah. What was the op tempo like? How often would you guys go out and, and hit targets? Uh, it would vary from time to time, but with that that training and advising piece, we we weren't going out like every night because like – we yeah. got to take these guys from from ground up on mission planning and everything, so we're going out you know, several times a month to uh, on bigger missions and then other little things as they came up. And when you so so it starts off, these guys are not wanting to get anywhere. They're not wanting to get shot at. They're if there's rounds fired, they're hiding a couple of terrain features away. And then you're slowly progressing them, building a relationship with them, getting to know them. They realize that they can actually do better, and that process is going on. And you arrived. This was in 2007. You guys had arrived in October in 2007. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Lit. And then and then you're doing one, two, three missions, getting these guys, trying to push them each time. Uh, to to do a little bit more to take on a little bit more responsibility and and this is just sort of the way it is what and then what kind of training are you doing on top of that you're when you're back on base you're running them through immediate action drills you're teaching them how to shoot move and communicate that's basically what's going on yeah teaching those those basic you know infantry skills um, take them out to the range teach them how to clear buildings teaching them you know just all the things you need to continue to reinforce and then, like I said, once you got a mission, like, okay, then we're going to start going through those those uh, tape drills. And we're going to build out a little mm-hmm. village here as best we can with our our budget, which was, you know, tape. tape. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, start building that stuff out. So that way, like, okay, we're going to build here, expect to walk this way, start, you know, going through those choreographed rehearsals to get everybody uh, get everybody ready. So now, as you guys got ready to go in the into the uh, shock valley, what was? W- did it seem like just another mission? Did it seem like oh, this one seems like it's going to be a little bit heavier? What was your what was your assessment of it? Getting ready to do it. Uh, there were definitely a few red flags that came with this mission, but. Mm. There's red flags with, yep. with with most missions. Like, they give us a gun and in training for a reason. Like, they don't ask you to go do a tickle fight with somebody. Like, it's, <laughs> like we, <laughs> you're always expecting something. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, you know, it was just it was, you know, we'd gone after high value targets before. Yeah. Um, we had intel he's over here. We had intel on what kind of what to expect. So. You know, was our the plan that uh, we ended up going with? Nobody was super excited about uh-huh. like, the idea of infilling at the bottom of a a mountain and then walk up. That that does not sound fun. Yeah. Um, 
but it comes to the point where you know like hey this is the mission yeah all right cool we're gonna do this mission the best we can and we're gonna and what what why did you guys have to insert at the bottom of that hill uh i think the decision was made that you know the afghan commando still being a little bit new like they they knew how to fast rope uh we had done that stuff but how many people do we want to risk injuring on the on that and then just you know if there is resistance you know what what's gonna what's gonna come of that and mm-hmm. and i mean i try try not to get too caught up in well maybe it would have been better if we'd we didn't fill in on top maybe we would have caught an rpg to the 47 right away yeah, no, and then, I, you can't play that then, game you can't play that game i i've played that game with myself and it's not a good game to play now it doesn't mean that you don't look at it and you go oh yeah okay here's what we saw this is why we made the decision this is something that you my brothers that are out there that could be in the same situation where you're gonna make that decision consider how it worked out for me right and and you know this is well Couple a couple weeks ago it was an eleven year from that uh, battle, but I was actually talking to uh, some SF guys not too long ago, and they're like, "We still talk about that mission. We still talk about the the good, which was the teamwork, the you know, the everybody coming together, get this get this job done as best we could, and we talk about the the less ideal parts mm-hmm. as well, and and make sure that we don't learn from somebody else's mistakes, don't don't repeat those, and." I think that's the great part about SF is you have that humbleness. Like, hey, we did not do this right. Yep. Please learn. We did this right. Please learn. Yep. And and yeah. And and again, the other side of that is like you could look at this thing all day and say, well, you should have gone and fast roped on. And like you said, you take an RPG into one of those helicopters and there's nine dead guys or whatever, and you go, okay, well, I guess that wasn't a good plan. Right. So you can make the best. You can make a horrible decision. And it can work out well. You can make the best decision. It can work out horribly. So whether that that's like a that's the way it is. So what you do is try and learn from it and look at what you did and say, okay, well, what could we have done better? Could you tell from the the imagery and or the maps of the area what that terrain feature was like? Because I'll tell you what. <laughs> I was re- you know I was in, in getting ready for this podcast. I read a bunch about the operation. And I kept reading steep terrain and you know this, that, and the other thing. And then, and I kind of calculated in my mind, you know, what that looked like in my mind. And in my mind, it was it was pretty bad. It was like, okay, it must have been pretty challenging. Then I went and looked at actual footage because there's a bunch of actual footage because you guys had a mm-hmm. combat photographer and you had a bunch of overhead cover. I saw that terrain, <laughs> brother. <laughs> I could not believe it. I was, I was. I was saying, oh my God, like as bad as everything sounded, it was 10 times worse. When I saw that terrain, I was like, I can't believe that this, that these guys did this. Uh, I agree. <laughs> yeah, no, no, and I don't just mean that from like, I can't believe you inserted there. I was saying, with the fact that you guys went up there, the, everything that you had to do on that operation, because the terrain was so steep, I couldn't believe that you guys got out of there. I mean, it was just crazy. Like, you know, I mean, you get used to, you see the predator, imagery beforehand to kind of get a feel you've seen satellite imagery you get used to seeing that stuff and you kind of you, you learn to build in that variance of this is what it looks like there mm-hmm. but i know it's not going to be like that mm-hmm. and so you kind of you build in your right and your left limits like this is kind of what i think i'm going to see yeah and it was still a little bit more than 
at least for me, what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, it was no joke. It's it's a borderline cliff. I mean, it is steep. And anyone that's listening to this, you can go on YouTube and you can Google Battle of Shock Valley, and you'll you'll start seeing what I'm talking about. It's 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 some heavy, steep terrain with a damn fortress on the top of it. I couldn't believe that either. I was like, oh, that that is a fortress. How many Afghan commandos did you have with you? We inserted with right around 100 okay. of them. And then so my team, you know, so I, I go through it in my head. I, about 12 dudes mm-hmm. it, when you when you add it all up. We had about 100 commandos. And then we, we had a, another SF team that was kind of further down in the valley trying to act mm-hmm. as a blocking position down there and and so but our main assault force um i mean yeah it was about 12 dudes that kind of were that that main assault yeah on it so so you guys you you look at the plan everyone's kind of like hey it's going to be steep it's going to be tough this is what we do let's go get some yeah i mean we made we made some uh like accommodations for that, like given what we're doing today, obviously you, you always want your secondary, but you know, if, if that Beretta doesn't walk up the hill with you today, like we understand, we gotta, we gotta cut some weight. So you guys pared yourselves down a little bit, we, got we, a little bit did, lighter. We did pare down. Um, what about body armor? Oh, uh, we still went with, with the plates, still Check. went with, still with the helmets. Um, and when you're doing those pre-combat checks with your, your your Afghan commandos. Mm-hmm. That was always the fun part. Is they're super motivated mm-hmm. to to be there. And I remember one time <laughs> where going doing the pre combat checks with a, a two forty gunner. So he's got a belt fed machine gun. You you carry this. This is your job. I start going through and I find you know the first M four mag on him. Like all right, dude. I mean you don't carry an M four, but I get it. And we ended up finding I think eight or nine. M4 mags on this dude, like carry carry more seven six two for the belt fed. (laughs) Like I I appreciate the you know you wanna wanna be ready, but focus (laughs) focus in where I need you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of crazy. So so you guys uh, so how many how many helicopters was it that was bringing you all in there? Must have been a big package. And did you go in all at once, like one giant lift? It was it was yeah one lift. Dang. It was a couple, a couple of Chinooks, a couple of Black Hawks, um, everybody going in, and then, uh, like I said, there was another team that kind of infilled down there with a smaller commando package, um, and uh, we had you know some you know, medical QRF and stuff up in mm-hmm. the air, and a few other things, you know. So we, we definitely had what seemed like enough a good going package. in. So you land in there, and how long does it take before you realize, like, well, okay, this is this is we we took a big bite. Well, I'll I'll uh, highlight. So I was the first guy to get on the Chinook. So that that went the last guy to get off. You know, you know, just having that responsibility, make sure everybody gets off, gets off safely. Um, and so we hit the zone. We hear the go, and everybody's getting off the helicopter so incredibly slowly and and i'm at the the front so i'm in the back of the line and i don't know what's going on i'm just yelling at commandos like get off of this 
helicopter now. Like the more time we're sitting here, the more. If if there is a bad guy watching us, we're just giving him more time to watch us. Uh, so it's just t- taking forever. Uh, and I finally get to the back of the Chinook, and I look out, and I'm like, oh, we're like 15 feet off the ground. The 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 valley that we're in is just so rocky and so such horrible terrain. Even there, like they they didn't land. I'm like, oh, okay, this is why. <laughs> It's taking so long. So like everybody else in front of me, I very carefully, you know, sit down, try and shimmy off the back so I'm not breaking a leg <sighs> before I even start. Um, off to a good start. Yeah, it, it started strong. So so we, we get off, the, the Chinooks fly away, and then you just kind of get that, that cold, quiet of an mm. Afghan uh, valley. Um, you know, there's that little bit of ice in the, in the water. There, you know, it's just you don't you don't want to use the cliche like it's too quiet. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Scooby Doo's in the house. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, we just kind of we get out there. How far did you have to patrol up the valley before you were you know perpendicular to the target building um, or the target castle? Because that's what it looks like. <laughs> it, I mean, it you know. In hindsight, and you know, you seeing up there, like I mean, they they had fixed fighting positions ready to go. For like, sure, they were. It looked like a castle. They were they were set. Um, I would guess four hundred meters, okay, six hundred so somewhere. And we we got basically we infilled just basically uh, trying to use angles just to make sure like. We're not that far away, right. so if we have some element of surprise, mm-hmm. we don't waste it all. But not so close that mm-hmm. you know we're already in it before we get off. So yeah, it wasn't that far. Uh, so you weren't on the ground very long before you started to you start you took fire from these guys from the castle. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't tell you how long before the castle started shooting at us. Uh, it, could have been five, 10, 15 minutes. I don't think it was that long. Uh, so I was in the, the the trailing element, basically, because I was the only U.S. medic on the ground there. I, I had my Afghan commando medics, but yeah, I was the only only a, a team medic there. Are you know SF? You're supposed to have two of this job, two of that job, two of the next. Unfortunately, the the other medic on the team had been hurt. Um, on a previous mission and then while he was recovering from that he was in a vehicle rollover which didn't help Um, so he got pulled out so yeah all right well i'll uh, I'll still do it so yeah it was 10 15 minutes maybe at most Uh, we start walking walking up there you can see the 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 lead assault force starting to work their way up and yeah, everywhere it's super steep um, on both your left and right as you're as you're kind of looking at it. And they find one little area where you have those kind of terrace, like farm mm-hmm. terraces, kind of working up, and that's where they'd figured out, okay, well, we're gonna work our way up there. And so you can see them starting to make progress up the up the mountain. And then I distinctly remember I saw one. Dude dressed in blue, you know, blue uh, just Afghan garb, sprint across the top of the hill with a with a rifle, 
and I don't, I mean, I don't think he's the dude who started shooting at us, but I saw that. And then within a few seconds, mm-hmm. everything just kind of opened up on us and yeah, the day started. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, one of my little sayings is always take the high ground or it'll take you. And this was just a situation where you guys do, you guys do not have the high ground at all. You guys are literally in a valley. How long was it before you took your first wounded? Uh, it was pretty quick. Uh, so we start taking the the fire. I my first job is is to my squad, my Afghan commando squad. So I start getting them situated. There's not much cover in there. It's just smaller rocks, bigger rocks, um, with that elevation and. Uh, at various points, I mean, both sides were kind of shooting at us. Uh, so I started getting them situated, and then very, very quickly, I heard the first call for a medic. One of the Afghan commandos had been shot. Um, luckily, it was a fairly minor wound. So I ran over to him, started treating him. And while I was working on him, just assessing the situation, that's when I remember watching many rpgs coming down but uh one rpg in particular come down hit right in front of our lines that the guys were starting to form down in the in the in the valley and then i hear the calls for ron coming down and so i know right away like um brian wallen had just been hurt like Mm -hmm. i just know that right away because before every mission Ryan would come take his squad of the day and stand in front of me and, and hold them and be like, this is Ron. If something happens to me, find Ron. And then you get the next one. This is Ron. If something happens, find Ron. Good insurance policy. <laughs> and so they, you know, when they're, when they're not calling for medic, they're just calling for Ron. Like, okay, I know whose squad that is. Uh-huh. So... Yeah, kind of did that quick math. Like, okay, this guy, he's fine. He's he's really not going to live or die based on anything I do. Mm-hmm. Suck it up, grab. He had a saw. Like, grab your saw, start shooting back. Good luck. And ran over towards uh, where I had that, that next call. And like you had read earlier, I find Ryan uh, bleeding pretty, pretty profusely from neck. And, of course, now you got the uh, neck injury and you, know, you got to go through those quick calculations like normally how do you stop bleeding lots of pressure mm-hmm. like well <laughs> I can't choke him to death no tourniquet's <laughs> gonna work out here <laughs> <laughs> so yeah just that kind of started the my day of improvising like trying to figure out how to how to get pressure and I don't even remember exactly what I did did you get shrapnel in the neck Is that yeah what you was? just caught caught shrapnel I had several shrapnel wounds in, the, in there, but you know, you're just doing those quick, quick assessments. Okay, there's no bubbling, which means pride didn't hit airway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's bleeding a lot, but not bleeding that fast that I, I think it caught a carotid or something like that. So, it's so a pretty lucky neck wound. Yeah, if you have to catch some shrapnel to the neck, he did it pretty well. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, well, I, as I was working on him, everybody's trying to just figure out what's what's was, going on. Was the mindset we're still assaulting this thing? Oh yeah. Dang. 
Oh, we we you, didn't. You just trumped me in uh, in mental attitude because <laughs> I would have been. Oh, we just got launched. By the way, you you said we got launched many RPGs. When I get launched many RPGs at me from an elevated position, I'm done assaulting that target. We're going somewhere else. Hey, I got a wounded guy. I got two wounded people. Yeah, we're we're not we're not going any further up this hill. And we were we were we were shooting RPGs back at him. We had I I, I legitimately could not tell you our, our Afghan commando's real name, but he just he knew his name was Joe Pesci. Uh, that's that's what we called him. Yeah. He looked like Joe Pesci. He was he was our Afghan commando RPG guy, uh-huh. and so he was kind of like looking at all of us and looking at the mountain and pointing up there and pointing at his RPG <laughs> and like, hell yeah, dude, yeah. launch him. Go get some, Joe. <laughs> Make it happen. And so yeah, let's see some good fellas <laughs> right here. Yeah. So so Joe Pesci started shooting back, so we you know start getting giving back as good as as, as uh, they were. Um. But so yeah, all that's kind of starting to go on. Uh, you know, working with Ryan, trying to figure out what am I? Uh, you go back and get my squad. What what needs to happen? And that's when I hear on the radio the call from from up on the mountain that multiple guys uh, were now now wounded. Um, I, I'm pretty sure the the call was that you know the three guys at that point. Were wounded, so yeah, basically told Ryan, "You're good. Have a nice day," and grabbed my stuff. Just started working towards the mountain. Um, uh, our team team sergeant Scott Ford and uh, one of the uh, the weapons guys, Matt Williams, they started organizing a response force to to get up there and start flexing a little more muscle up on the mm-hmm. hill. So they're they're organizing that. My focus is, hey, I need to go. So, you know, at the mountains, start working, start my way way up the same terraced uh, features that I talked about before. And, you know, it is climbing hand over, you know, hand over hand. You're literally climbing, get up to the next terrace, figure out how much are we being shot at right now? Where is it coming from? Where is the next place I can go up? And just start working our way up. Uh, as as we went up, you know the the other support element kind of got got with me, and we all just started taking that terrain together. Took a took a while to get there. I don't I don't know they they put out their estimates, but I don't know how long it took me to get there. Uh, got up to the the little outcropping that had become you know where the where the where the command element was what it was and sort of processing the situation that we had uh, right as I right as I'm looking at it I can see uh, one of our interpreters uh, CK he appears to be KAA um, two of the two of the team guys were, were down with the uh, different wounds and so I started just trying to go through the fastest you know triage that I can to figure out what I need to do and and I mean honestly even at this point we're I don't think the call's been made quite yet that we're we're done for the day but it was gonna be it was gonna be called very soon yeah <laughs> after that um so yeah trying to Remember the the full sequence. I mean, it, it was a busy day. 
Um, so I think I started working on Dylan first just because he looked the worst off. He had a, a gunshot wound to his right arm and then another one to his hip pelvis mm-hmm. area. Uh, his, his his arm wound, I joke with him now because he's, he's fine and it's okay to joke about getting shot after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, joke with him. That, you know, that, that one bullet that hit his arm, uh, it was – it was just a, a lucky bullet for him, but it, it went through his his um, uh, for you know, speaking words is tough sometimes. His uh, his rifle strap it went oh, okay his sling. It went through his sling, cut cut that, then went through his arm, and then he he chose to keep his pistol on that day. But at the time we were still kind of running a pistol. On the front of your uh-huh. your body armor, yep. and so it had actually lodged in between his plate and his his pistol. It hit the inside <sighs> of his his pistol. Like that just slightly different angles on that bullet, and yeah, you know. So his, his arm wound was you know basically just a, a very minor bleed. Didn't worry too much about that, uh, but it didn't take me long to figure out his. His his other one was gonna gonna be a, a, literally a pain in the ass for him all day, uh, figuratively for me. <laughs> uh, but it was, you know, you could just see the way it's bleeding, and it's just, you know, those very small wounds that entry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made the made the I would say dumb call. For just a, a few moments, I don't even know how long it was. Uh, I didn't want to roll him any more than I had to, to to see what was going on. Uh, so I, for a little bit, took my helmet off, set it to the side, so I could just roll him just to see the the downside wound. How bad was it? Uh, it didn't end up being that bad. So kind of rolled him back over. Hopefully, I put my helmet on right away, or I think maybe somebody yelled at me. Uh, but so just started working on trying to figure out how to get pressure on there. Uh, you'd mentioned we had the, the combat cameraman mm-hmm. out there with us. Uh, by that point, his camera had already been shot, so he he just became right an extra an extra set of hands for me to oh, okay. to help. So I'd be like, okay, let me go triage the rest of these guys real quick. Just hold pressure here for me. I'll be back in a second. And you know, when I say I'll be back. Like the area we're working in was not that big. It was maybe twenty meters mm-hmm. across, and it's just that that slight slope you get on a hillside before it falls off the cliff, so to speak. Like, and everybody's just tucked like, up in there, hanging on that tiny little bit of a slope trying to not fall off and not get shot. And the the guys had been shot. Were they on that slope when they got shot or were they pushing up a little bit? Were you were you somewhat safe in that shot? Were you in that spot? Were you somewhat protected or were guys still getting oh, I guess they weren't because you you still guys were getting shot. No, right? guys were still still getting shot the whole time. Uh, so we're we're basically you're just trying to use that tiny bit of an angle to minimize how much you can be shot at. There mm. was there was no place where you were safe on there at all. Um, if you kind of 
picture like from 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 that little outcropping where we were mm-hmm. if you're looking at the main village it was almost like a like a hockey stick kind of in front of you mm-hmm. is the way the mountain kind of wrapped around so you had that long wall kind of on what I'm considering my left mm-hmm. but then it still wrapped around so the whole village if you got a little bit of cover from this side you are exposed to the other the, side the other side still had you and then there were some people on the other side of the the valley who were shooting us too but it was much it was insignificant compared to other problems we had was your mindset at this point totally focused on just getting the get working on the guys did you go into that mode like of okay this is what i got to do or was any part of you going uh this is not good did, did any was there any party that was saying hold on a second look at what's happening situationally we're surrounded they have the end the enemy has the upper ground i got wound, three wounded guys what calls being made? What what was what was like your tactical assessment of what was happening? Uh, or were you just straight up working on guys trying to save their lives? From my perspective, it was straight up working on guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, the trying to get my commandos and you know leading them anywhere that was over mm-hmm. for me. Um, I would I would find them hours and hours later, and. <laughs> They were like, they were still down in the valley, just hanging out, trying to use a little bit of cover. And they all kind of saw me and they were like, we thought you were dead a while ago. Like, welcome back. (laughs) Uh, And you're like, well, thanks for the support. (laughs) Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. So like I said, we we were working on closing those gaps with them, but sometimes the the rubber band still broke. Uh, But so, yeah, I was mostly focused on just trying to treat these guys. and you know it's you need to convey information to the team leader and you need to tell the guy you're yeah you're you're fine buddy don't don't worry about that so at one point you know i'm telling dylan you're good dude we walk this off and then kind of looking over the team leader being like no seriously he needs to go we now. need a Kazavak right now <laughs> he, he needed to go a while ago but now we'll be fine too um so and, and he's I, hearing I, both those I things. I didn't really think about his perspective <laughs> on it, but you know, later he's like, "Yeah, I was hearing it all." Dude. I'm like, "Sorry about that." Uh, uh, that's that's a, a rough way to hear things. So, so you had three guys wounded in that position as well. So there was the 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 three kind of the two two Americans initially crit, critical, mm-hmm. and uh, the one Ekin and I. So I started working on Dylan, uh, went over to Luis, saw what what, he, what had happened to him, Luis Morales, um, and he had been shot through the thigh and through the ankle, both on the right side. And luckily it didn't hit any of the major vessels, but it, like with his, his thigh, it, it just ripped it in half. Like you could look all the way through mm. his thigh. It looked like you'd cut open a fish and you were gutting it. Mm. Um, so while he wasn't, you know, he didn't hit a major artery. It's just so much tissue damage that boy, this could still form compartment syndrome. It could still kill him many different ways. So I start working, you know, assess him and, you know, just doing those first sweeps. Like I'm not trying to do anything definitive yet. It's just like, let me figure out what all's going on and then I'll come back through. Uh, so after seeing Luis, I still felt like I owed CK an actual check. Um, 
This was the interpreter. The, the interpreter. He was. He was dead, mm-hmm. but I still owed him. Like, confirm. It, it, unless, unless I know what killed him, maybe he's still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went up, did a check on him. He he'd been shot just behind the left ear, and yeah, it was it was an unsurvivable wound. Um, yeah, so I, I checked on checked on him, and then, you know, we just. Unfortunately, with as little cover as we had for anything, like he couldn't take up space mm-hmm. where we had cover, so we we just kind of had him off to the side a little bit, uh, but exposed to the elements because you know, unfortunately, the living guys didn't have enough space. So after checking on him, I kind of go back through and. Obviously, this entire time we're still getting shot at. You can still feel those bolts gone by. You can still feel the the dirt kicking up. Uh, you know, there's there's just everything's so tight in there and so little space. Like I'm trying to kneel over these guys to do the best I can for them. And and as things are just falling on us, trying to cover them, as things you know, just rocks are coming down, explosions are happening. Just trying to. Yeah, because at some point they start calling in for fire. Is that is that happening yet? Uh, the 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 calls for fire came in. They started pretty quickly. Um, Zach Reiner was our Air Force combat controller that day. He got the Air Force Cross, very deservedly so. Uh, I mean, you know, I, all of us are alive because of all the stuff that he called in that yeah. day. Yeah. Um, He's dropping bombs, danger close, dropping 2,000-pounder. I mean... He's dropping the stuff and... Um, again, you know why I'm talking about this? As if I know what it looks like? Because I saw you can watch these videos and you can see the bombs hitting and massive, hitting that castle. And massive bombs hitting that castle. And even even the bombs that hit that castle, they, they, they do damage, but that castle was massive. And Crazy. You know, we ended up, through the course of the day... Um, one one of our Afghans uh, broke his leg. The the wood framing on a building that got blown up broke his leg. Mm-hmm. So we got we got to deal with that. You're getting just all the other wounds that are coming uh, with those because I mean, because th- massive debris is coming down on you guys from those danger close um, hits, b- bomb drops, and it, like debris is coming down on you guys because you guys are below it, uh, down a cliff. Right at at one point i don't remember exactly where in the sequence of events uh basically like i said we kind of had that wall on our left that went straight up and there was there was a, a a building there and they were getting in that and starting to just shoot down at us and so that had to go away so uh zach ended up calling in a strike hit that and I don't go hunting too much for footage online, but I know I've seen it through through the military side. You can you can actually hear the pilot come on the radio after he drops that one. He's like, I do not feel good yep, about that one. Yep, that's how danger close it was. It was so danger close that the pilot comes on the radio afterwards and says, he goes, that was real close. I don't feel good about that one. Meaning you can hear the the, the, the sickness in his voice thinking how, you know, did we just kill yeah, our own you guys? Just, you just killed everyone. And of course for us, you know, we're covered in, we're getting covered in debris. We're getting... Just rained on stuff, but we're like, thanks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> God, t- t- 
totally insane. So at what point did you guys decide, okay, we got to get out of here? Uh, or were you still thinking, hey, maybe we'll just continue no, with this assault up the hill? At that point, we were pretty much we were pretty much done at that point. Um, so Scott Ford, the team sergeant, he comes in. Like I said, he he was, you know, right there with us moving up the hill, uh, bringing on those those extra guys, and he started. Like, I'm working. I'm trying to keep these guys alive. And he starts working that let's get them out of here piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so our lead element had actually made the edge of the village. Like I, th- I think they got into at least one building, and so they're starting to. Ho- we got that foothold. Like we, we made it, guys. <laughs> we won. <laughs> uh, but so he makes that call. Okay, we gotta we gotta pull those guys back. Yeah to start getting these. Which is actually incredible to even have gotten to that. And and to be honest with you, if things, now that I'm, you know, I'm talking about how much I would have just, you know, bailed out of there, once you get a foothold in that situation, now it's, you know, it's gonna be CQC us against them. Like, you you actually have a pretty good chance, you know. Well, you got 100 commandos, or we get them up that hill, you get a foothold in that building, it's like, okay, or in that in that castle, we can start taking it out. So that's that's impressive, man. Props to you guys for sure. Yeah, the unfortunately, as bad as it started, for quite a while through the day, it actually it kept getting worse. Like it never stopped. Um, I think we started to get some lulls after we'd done so many airstrikes. Mm-hmm. But uh, so the the side of the the mountain that I went up a little bit later in the day, like it was just no man's land. You didn't go over there if you wanted to not be dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so the logistics of trying to get an actual fighting force up, even though we had a, a foothold, yeah. it, it just it became an untenable position. So you know, I'm working on these guys. I'm I'm trying to get some kind of hemorrhage control, bleeding control on on Dylan. Uh, you know, with Luis, I, I did quick uh, quick treatments on him. Got his wound bandaged up as well as I could, so that way, you know, just with all that trauma, he didn't end up, you know, still still dying on me mm-hmm. on, on the mountain just from from some something. Uh, started working on Dylan, and like I said it based on what he was describing to me, like. I didn't see the point of like, you know, in the medical course they teach you like, oh, you can, you know, you press on a pelvis down and then you squeeze it and then that's how you'll see if it's broken or not. Like I didn't see the point in doing that to mm-hmm. him, just where the wound was, like something in there is broke. Uh, he's not going to benefit from me jumping up and down Pressure on it, testing on it to, to find out, like, hey, dude, your, your pelvis is broke. Sorry about that. Uh, so... But he was also describing like, oh my, my foot doesn't feel like it's straight. Like nothing feels like it's lining up right, and it, it wasn't because the we'd find out later that you know the bullet had gone through his femoral head, um, so it sh- shattered that. Uh, did a bunch of damage to the, the pelvis itself. Um, so I'm just seeing this and like looking at what I what I can physically see. I'm like, I don't think it hit an artery, but. If it hit the pelvis, and it's been a while since I was a medic, but you know, I remember having those those numbers in my head, like okay, a, a pelvic fracture 
is going to cause this much bleeding. Mm-hmm. And a femoral fracture is going to cause this much bleeding. And trying to process those things. Like, okay, he's not he's not bleeding out, but he's still going to bleed out yeah. on me. Uh, so it was so high up, you couldn't put a tourniquet on it. Couldn't really uh, do anything. So I just came up with the idea that I had uh, Celox, a uh, hemostatic agent. It was designed to stop bleeding. Mm-hmm. I had a powder of that so what i did is i just kind of started pouring that on the wound and then taking my fingers and shoving it into the wound because the wound was so small Mm -hmm. entry wounds are you know not big so just started shoving that in there trying to get as much in as i could just repeating that process over and over until i felt like i had enough i don't know just it was just scientific just just kind of gut call shoving fingers in your body to be like hopefully this will help uh then wrapped him up as well as i could and so while i'm doing this that's when the the lead element started to get back towards us Mm -hmm. and they were going to help us start to get these guys out of there and within moments minutes whatever it was of them getting Getting there, that's when we took our next American casualty. Uh, John Walding uh, had been hit on the right, right leg, just below the knee, and basically just amputated his leg right away. It was hanging on by a little bit, but it it just amputated it. Um, so the the hemostatic agents that are out there, they've gotten better now, but at the time it was you know you have to hold pressure for five minutes. Otherwise, maybe the clot will break, and then now he's going to bleed inside there, and you'll never see it. And so start yelling at somebody, get a tourniquet on him. Uh, they do. And now he's just stacked up, you know, taking up more more uh, real estate for us. Uh, so our team sergeant, Scott, he's trying to figure out, okay, now we have, you know, another casualty so we 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 added a, another negative and we lost a, a positive because now it's that's a dude who can't help move mm-hmm. and so you know at that point he's very I, I know at this point it's very clear we're we're done with the mountain we just need to go home uh so you know we're still still working on them i know i know i was working on on dylan and um Scott ends up getting shot for the first time in the chest plate. And so I run over to him at this point, check him, you know, hesitate to say he's fine, but he's fine. Um, the chest plate did its job. He's he's obviously going to feel that for a few days. Uh, so I go back, keep trying to package up these guys uh, a little bit more, and we're just... You know, it's it's tough not to gloss over like minor wounds. Like, you know, this guy just got more shrapnel wounds. Like, quick check, you're fine, move on. Um, one of our commandos at some point in all of this, an- another one of our commandos got shot in the head, um, and he dropped instantly. And I'm like, well, that dude's a hundred percent dead. Uh, but later, pull him back over and like. No, he's actually still alive. He was. He just decided to take a little nap out there on the edge of the on the But it, it, you know, it 
just weird things bullets do. It had dented the his head, but it didn't didn't kill him. So we're just you know continuing to just accumulate these problems, um, and so working. Scott ends up uh, turning around to say something to us, and that's when he got shot again. This time in the left arm, and. It almost amputates his left arm, but not nothing compared to uh, the visual image that uh, Johnson had. And I think it was the same bullet. Was it a bullet right after on a burst? I can't say for sure, but it, it was at the same time that he got shot in the left arm, I got hit in the head. Um, and so I'd had my helmet back on at this point, so I got hit in the head. And so... I'm, working on Dylan and I'm you know trying to ask him like am I all right like I I don't know um but you know trying to do like blood sweeps or trying to figure out like I have so much blood oh you can't even tell everywhere like I don't know if I'm bleeding so I'm asking you know I'm asking him what I'm working on like like how am I am I okay can I can I keep going <laughs> uh but he's like yeah you're you're fine. Um, I don't. I don't know. I remember exactly what he said, but it conveyed. Yeah, you're fine. So I grabbed a tourniquet. It's just ran. a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah, look. I mean, the, the helmet. The helmet did its job, so yeah. it, it wasn't. Uh, wasn't. Didn't do anything to me. It felt like I got hit yeah. with a baseball bat. Like just how I describe it. it feels like what you would think it, it would. Um, so I grab a tourniquet, run out to Scott. Put a tourniquet on his his left arm. Uh, there's just like, we're full. There's nowhere to put people. Um, luckily, he's of of the serious injuries we were accumulating. He's the only ambulatory mm. guy. So basically, he self evacuates down the side of the mountain that we had come up, and you know where the fire was continuing to get worse. But there was. There were some guys, uh, Seth Howard and Matt Williams, they're doing good work over there. And so basically he kind of got down there and they see him with his arm and they're like, we'll get you, <laughs> we'll get you taken care of. So they, they worked him down, down the mountain on that one side. But that really only, only worked for him because he could, yeah. he could move. Everybody else is, is, uh, not that mobile. So uh, Dave Sanders is kind of coming through, and you now he's he, he's uh, trying to figure out a route for us. And so, in in my mind, like what I just consider behind me now, there's basically the cliff kind of just goes straight down. But like any cliff, there's there's a little terrace over here. Mm-hmm. There's a little terrace over there so he he's exploring that route and he comes back up and it just comes to the simple like he's like this will work and we're like is everybody gonna can these guys do it and he's like they probably won't die like well that's it's better than where we're at right now that's 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 a good plan (laughs) so 
Uh, yeah, I got this one section I, of, of one other article I pulled out. This is it, it, it's somewhere around here. And again, it's it's like, uh, but I just this this left a really good picture in my mind of what was going on and kind of the the how critical the situation is. Walton, Captain Walton was the uh, was the element commander. He's the mm-hmm. the and he this is this is talking about him and he's got some um, quotes in here. But this is from the Stars and Stripes, which is like a military newspaper overseas and it says Walton feared his force was on the verge of being overrun with the insurgents nearing his position Walton reached for a grenade and called in a massive danger close strike expecting it could take out his entire team they were all prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice he said the bomb dropped and then he saw an image he would remember forever from that fight Schur's body draped over the injured men he'd been working on through the fight. In that moment, the strike that we had called in on our own position detonated just above us and blocked out the sun. As the dust settled, Ron Schur was the first thing that I saw on top of his wounded teammates, protecting them even to the end when we had all fully accepted that we were going to go down fighting. Ron Schur was still thinking of others. Yeah, like I mean, like he says in there, it definitely, it definitely got to the point where, like, okay, this is, this is the day. Uh, I don't know how everybody kind of just processed that. Um, I know for me, there was. A point where I just said a quick prayer, just asking God to help uh, my wife Miranda and our our son, who at the time was a couple days shy of three months old. Uh, just make sure they're cool with with uh, what's about to happen, and then just go back to work and just you know taking it in little chunks. It's it's too big to try and think of, of over the course of the day. I mean, I had the four U.S. critical, um, three other U.S. wounded, two KIA, about 13, 14, 15 Afghan commandos, interpreters wounded. And so, it, you know, in just terms of those numbers, that's it's too yeah. much to deal with. But right. if I just, you know— this is the worst thing going on right now. I'm going to deal with this and then come up for air, look around. That's, nice that's now the worst thing. So I'm going to go over there and I'm going to deal with that. And so, you know, just keep taking it in little chunks, keep working working through it. And then it, at some point you started working towards, okay, we got to get these guys down. We're going to start lowering these guys down. So uh, Dave Sanders figured out, okay, this is this is the least bad option. So... I just started getting everybody ready to go. Um, kind of started with, okay, of of these guys who were up here, Luis has a really bad injury, but he's stable enough. I gave him a fentanyl lollipop, so he, he's not feeling too bad. Like, you're going first. So we got him. I just do a double check on, on the guy and then go over to – the edge of the cliff and start 
working them down is, and depending on how bad their their wound was, like Luis could help himself a lot. So like, I'll just get him ready, get him over the edge, and uh, Dave and uh, oh, why am I forgetting our combat camera guys? Hey, Mike Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd kind of take him the rest of the way down the hill, and then I'd go back up to my little position. All right, next serious one was Dylan. Okay, getting him ready. He had, I, I got an IV started on him, got a few different things going. I got everything as ready as I could, sent him over. All that stuff was ripped out and just mangled by the time we got into the bottom. But, well, it is what it is. That's, that, that's now what we're dealing with later. Um, so then it came time to, uh, uh, got over to, um, John Walding uh, started doing an assessment on him just through the variances of you know, battle and and everything his his tourniquet had been placed properly um, which his vessels sometimes will relax or tension or tense up just so he was at that point he was actually bleeding quite profusely um so we had to make some adjustments on his tourniquet, get him mm-hmm. restabilized. Uh, just had him hold his leg, just give him something to do, and you know we start lowering him down the hill. And as we're we're kind of finishing that up, like all of the ambulatory commando and interpreter casualties, they're kind of working their way down through all this as well. Uh, Seth Howard and Matt Williams, who I kind of mentioned earlier, like they came through right behind us, just kicking off everybody else that hadn't got the message it was time to go, or like CK who had you know been killed. They got they got him off for us. The the Afghan commando, who we you know just didn't really have a great plan for. We got him off, and we just got everybody down. Started setting up a, another casualty collection point down there at the bottom of the hill. Uh, you know, hallway you're climbing down, stuff still exploding. You're still getting shot at. Uh, but by the time we got down to the the valley again, it was we had a little bit more cover. It was. You know, everything that day was just this sucks less than that. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna do I'm gonna do this. Uh, so at that point, you know, we got everybody off. Got to go through, recheck everybody now because we've now moved moved all the patients. Um, long since out of most of my supplies. So then it comes down to well. You do need a bandage, but he needs it more. But you're you're gonna be fine without one, uh, and just kind of keep making those calls. How long did it take for Kazavak to show up? Uh, so uh, we'd never really got like a dedicated Kazavak to come in that day. We had some Blackhawks that were supporting the mission up there, and those pilots were awesome they were like there's wounded we're gonna come in it's, it's hot 
they're fine with it. They know what's going on. So they came in. We got uh, the first group loaded up and out, and then they came in again, got the next group. So basically we got all the critical and all the non-ambulatory people out of there, and then everybody else, just you, you just got to walk out of here. Um, there's no nothing else going to come for you. Uh, it was at some point around this time when I'm down down in the valley working. Um, it's that point that I kind of noticed my, my arm is starting to hurt a little bit. And I just look at my arm. My arm's there. It's fine. Whatever. Just, you know, if you bang your elbow on something, you just kind of shake it out and you move on with your day. Um, it was later that night, you know, get back to the base uh, after we went and saw the wounded guys go and take a shower. I noticed I had a cut on my arm and bruising around my elbow. And I was like, well, that, that wasn't there earlier. <laughs> uh, went and found my uniform, and it's got that bullet hole in it. And I was like, oh, I don't have any idea. At some point you took around. When when that went through. Uh, but yeah, it was just it's one of those days, like as bad as it was, you know, you you adjust an inch this way. I mean I I think we'd done the math before and it was like we came up with like eight inches or something. Like if the enemy just could move a bullet eight inches over the course of the day, like move this bullet one inch this way, move this bullet oh. this way. They you know, would have just killed everybody. Like one of the guys got shot through the his camel back. Mm-hmm. You know, it first that it hit like he had a flare in the back there, he'd done that, but that you just in, inch that like Dylan who had the bullet skim between his armor and his his gear, he moved that and um, but that's how combat is, you know. Millimeters you, and inches. You you train, you you get as good and proficient as you can, and then you hope for a little bit of a little bit of luck <laughs> as well. You you guys and you, I know you lost two. Well, you lost your one interpreter killed. Well, uh, CK. And then one Afghan soldier killed. Yeah. Um, but none of the Americans were were killed. No, none of the Americans. That's were. like completely. In, um, in, in, that's a miracle. It's incredible. Yeah, Bob uh, Baradine. He was the uh, Afghan first sergeant. He was on that SF uh, team that was on the blocking down the valley. At some point, they came up to kind of help us do that final policing up of everything. And he was he was he was a great first sergeant for them. He was leading from the front like he should, and he caught around just below that chest plate. It hit his aorta, his vena cava. It doesn't much matter, um, but he dropped, and that was it. So, as as rough as the day was, and as much as you kind of go through after the fact, like what could I have done better? What could I have, you know? been here a little faster done that shot that guy a little bit quicker the only two KAs there was just 
there's nothing to be done for. So I eventually got comfortable with it all because of that. And then what, when your team, what did they even do with your team now? You guys come back, you got all these casualties. Did they stand you guys down? Did they send you home? What'd they do with you? Uh, no, we, so after we got everybody, all the, the wounded guys out, uh, eventually we kind of regroup. We go down back, back to the infill point, get on the helicopters, leave. We ended up landing at some fire base. I don't mm. even know where it was. We don't know if we're going back. There's another SF team there. We still got a lot of commandos. Mm-hmm. So we're like, back in the game. Are, are we going to go? Uh, I linked up with the, the the medical support that was there, refit my bag, got got everything ready to go again, like we were going to go right back, um, but we didn't, <laughs> uh, which was probably the right call for that day. Um, so then we ended up going back to Jalalabad, which is where we were operating out of at the time. Uh, a couple of the wounded guys were there, so we went and saw them. Couple of the wind guys were already at Bagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, we took care of them. We got a that senior, you know, listed guy Carl became our new acting team sergeant. We just went about better day. I mean, we still we still did another mission a few weeks later. Um, it's just funny to remember. So yeah. one of the <clears throat> one of the guys. Uh, Dan Plants, he's now Sergeant Major uh, out there. Um, but that was his his first mission with us. And of course, you know, he's like, are they all like this? And of course they are. Like <laughs> Some of them are worse. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome aboard. Yeah. Stand by to get some. Dang. And then how much longer was that deployment? You guys did a few more operations with your new team, Sergeant. You guys went up. How did you feel going back out? Uh, obviously that that fight was was different than anything we'd faced before. You know, the, when when we left, whatever it was, six weeks later, that was that was my last uh, combat deployment, so I didn't face anything like that again. But it when we went back out, I mean, we were ready to go again, mm-hmm. and. I remember on that that next mission we went out on, uh, we're going through the village and our our interpreters are just, you know, they would talk with the bad guys on walkie-talkies sometimes and they just talk, talk shit back and forth to each other. Um, and so at one point they were like, oh, these were the guys that we just, we think these are the guys we just messed up a few weeks ago. Like, let's get them. And... Then a Kiowa came in and did a run and <laughs> took out a few, and they were like, second thought, let's let's call today a you know a draw, and that was that was the end of that day. Uh, but so, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a day we'll never forget, and but I'm just glad that you know the team came together they got the job done we didn't accomplish the mission we didn't find the bad guy we didn't get to bring him back but you know some days the win is is just we got everybody that we could out of there alive 
and you know we certainly gave them worse than we got yeah, that no, day. Yeah, the <laughs> estimated enemy killed was like 150 to 200, and um, and that 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 ended up being the most decorations, highest decorations handed out for a single day battle since the Vietnam War. It was for this for this uh, operation that you guys went on. And then, so when you came home, what made you decide, because you ended up getting out of the Army, what made you decide you were going to get out? Uh, I ended up getting out uh, May of 2009, so just over a year later. Um, it was a lot of different factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, um, my my older son was actually born in January of 2008, so I came home, saw him born, and then went right back to Afghanistan and then you know we had other missions in this mission uh, afterwards so that you know that priority uh, factor starts starts to go in there um, another part of it was just I think I always felt like there was something I was supposed to do And that seemed like as good a <laughs> good a thing to check a block with as as I could I could think of. I don't. It, it's, it's so many different like factors yeah. that come in that. Yeah. Like I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't still miss the team. I still wish, if, whenever I hear they're out there, like I, I wish I was there with them. I wish I was, you know, still doing it. But you know, I felt like I'd done whatever it was I was supposed to do. And, you know, I think I think it's tough for any special operations guy, SEAL, Green Beret, Ranger, yeah, sure. whatever. Like, at some point you have to hang it up because time is going to, Yeah, it's a young man. You're going to hang it up whether you want to or not at some point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that game. So I felt like, you know, I'll go out on, Got on my own terms, right. so to speak. Yeah, and then how did you end up getting into the Secret Service? Like, what what made you look at that and think that seemed like a good call? So, I think I started applying for them when I had about six months to go in in the military. What piqued your interest on them? Uh, so, full disclosure with them, I federal law enforcement just seemed like a good. Uh, next transition, so mm-hmm. I shotgun blast out. You know the FBI, the Secret Service, the DEA, marshals, air marshals, everybody, and very quickly on, I really just liked the personality that came with the Secret Service, the the attitude that the people had, the the dedication to the job, the the focus. In a lot of ways, you know, like like SF, like. You know, you have super important mission. Sometimes you have all the resources you need. Sometimes you don't. You're still going to figure it out. You're still going to, you're still going to make it work. I really like that personality that came with it. So, while everybody showed interest in me, I, I kind of focused there and ended up getting hired with them a couple of months after I got got out of the army. And then what's what's that onboarding like? Do you go through like a boot camp scenario with them? Because they must take kids out of college, right? You're supposed to have, I can't remember what the book answer is, like three years of real-world experience. 
after college. Oh, okay. So from my class, you had a mixture. Some people had military backgrounds. Some people had law enforcement backgrounds. Some had – one was a lawyer. Um, mm-hmm. Just any different background. So is it like a gentleman's course boot camp scenario? Uh, for the most part. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> coming from – from the SF background, like, I don't know who we need to kick out, but you got to kick out somebody, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just to make sure that everybody else who's here knows, like, you know, <laughs> it could happen to you. But our, we had a good class, so everybody everybody got through. And, uh, but it was, I'll say it was about three months of training in Georgia at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, kind of basic information on uh, it's the criminal investigator training program just mm-hmm. basically legal law and, stuff how and, to handle evidence all that kind of stuff yeah the basics every law enforcement person needs and then you continue on with four more months at the secret service where you learn the the two aspects of of our agency both the financial crimes investigations and the protection mm-hmm. aspect and most people don't know about the financial crimes investigation of the Secret Service. They don't think about that arm of it. Well, and that's, I mean, that's why it was created. Uh, you know, President Lincoln signed the Secret Service into into existence to fight counterfeiting because at the end of the Civil War, I can't remember the statistic, like two-thirds of the currency in the country was counterfeit. Hmm. You can't rebuild when... Half of everything is fake, so he, you know, he signed that, and it was soon after that. You know, he went to a play, didn't work out for him. Um, but then it was forty years later that we kind of took over the full time protection of the president, and of course, that's our our main mission now. Yeah. While while the, the majority of people in the agency are are out there keeping the financial system secured and intact. Obviously, the number one mission is the president, the vice president, um, other heads of state or heads of government that come in to the country. We protect them. And, you know, obviously, they're all no-fail missions. Like, Mm -hmm. you cannot let something happen to the president. Or if you have uh, some country come in, that maybe nobody's, you know, nobody's ever heard of this dude. Well, we still can't let random street violence happen yeah. to this guy or or something. So you just, there's that whole spectrum that you have to work around. So you get done with the training and then where did you, where was your, where did you get stationed? Did you go to the president's detail or did you go to the crime fighting part? So the, the typical career path is is you go out to one of the field offices around the country and, and fight crime for a little while. Mm-hmm. So when I got got the offer, they offered me a couple different cities to start in. Phoenix, Arizona sounded like the best option. So I took that. Uh, yeah, my wife and son moved out there right away. We bought a house. You know, while I technically lived there, I was off of training for several months mm-hmm. and then uh, joined them as soon as I finished up. And I spent basically the next four years in Phoenix from May 2010 to May 2014 doing whatever 
financial crime or computer crime. So financial crime. crime includes what? You have you know, your, your credit card fraud, your counterfeiting. I need um, to get your number because credit card yeah. fraud people are all about you know <laughs> coming after me. They, 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 it's like open access, and that's what. And, and when I talk to people, like yeah, that happens. It's happened to everyone. That's like the main crime right now. When I say hey, there's credit card fraud on me. He says yo, that happened to me two weeks ago. It's happening to everyone now. It yeah, it's happened to me. Um, yeah, it happens. Dang. <laughs> okay, maybe well, I won't call you. It, it's it's one of those things. I mean, there's so many different. Uh, levels to it like you can you know there's the the prudence that you know you'll, you'll see the things like oh check a atm to see if you see a skimmer attached to it which is great advice mm-hmm. it's definitely something you know if something looks weird on an atm don't use it but you go to a store and i mean even like target or these bigger stores oh yeah that's right they had the massive you get hacked you didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Like you used the machine. The machine was secure, you thought, but at some back level. So there's those two aspects of the crime that we end up chasing down because there's the person who stole all the, the card information, but they're almost never the person who's using, using it. They, it. They yeah. sell it to somebody else. So you you got to pick which side do I want to chase today? Do I want to figure out who stole it or do I want to figure out who's using it? And it kept you pretty busy. And then eventually you get called back to D.C.? Is that where you got stationed next? Uh, so I'm stationed in D.C. now um, um, with the uh, counter-assault team for the Secret Service. It's Which is like the, like, cool, like the coolest job, right? I mean, in the Secret Service. Let's be straight up, right? There's nothing cooler than saying I'm on the counter-assault team of the Secret Service. It does sound cool, <laughs> yes. Uh, and what it really means is sitting in the back of a vehicle somewhere for long periods of time in a motorcade or something? Yeah, with the full body armor on yeah. everything, so you're uncomfortable, you're miserable, complaining about it. Like, why did I sign up for this? Yeah. But And there's like 8,000 uh, pieces of security that someone would have to get overcome for you guys to get the call. But someday, <laughs> and it does sound cool. So we got that going for us. But what I, what I loved about that, just like with SF, is you know to be there, you have to you have to volunteer. You have to go through a selection process. You got to go through another school. We washed out between selection and the school itself. We washed out about half, maybe a little more. How tight are they? Are, are they on shooting in that school? Uh, standards are much higher than the general Secret Service. Because you might be taking shots around the president. You don't want to throw that round. <laughs> you don't want <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, it adds a little extra level to that. You know, law enforcement. Every round counts. Aspects. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the military. You know, most rounds you, count. You, most 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 <laughs> rounds count. You can't just fire indiscriminately. But you know, if he's generally in that area, yeah. that's why they gave me more than one bullet. Yeah. Um, whereas. Yeah, the Secret Service. Yeah, I got I got in trouble one time during during CQC training for putting down cover fire in a building. <laughs> I was like, you know, someone was trying to cross a hallway, and I'm like, okay, I know there's a bad guy down there. I'm just gonna start shooting at him. Uh-huh. And um, you know, the instructor is like, Jocko, w- 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 what were you doing over here? And I was like, where? And he's like, in this, you know, you're holding this hallway, and then you just started shooting. And I was like, I was putting down cover fire for the guy that was moving. He goes, he's like, I get it, but you're really not supposed to do that in CQC. And I'm like. Okay, fair enough, you know. Yeah, but if the guy I'll come around the what, corner, man. it might have worked. Yeah, know? he wasn't coming around the corner when I was cracking rounds at him. <laughs> exactly. So you're so you 
And so you're just that's do you go on? Is there a rotation that you're going on for that? Are you like on all the time? Are you three months on, three months off? Do you just are you just in a certain area and that's when you're live? So uh, they break us down into we we call them we have teams and then two teams make up a company and then mm. and then so we have basically four different elements. So one's on training, one's on uh, your days, one's on your evening, one's on your your meds. At all time and so yeah your, your downtime is to train and then the rest of the time you're up protecting protecting the man or you know president vice president other people as as need support just always working and at some point during during that job you you got you you went to the hospital and figured out something that wasn't going too well I'd say the least. Um, so, you know, if you kind of go through the the, the full story, um, what was that? Late spring, early summer of 2016, I kind of started getting a little pain in my, my right hip, a um, little pain in my back, but of course yeah. I have some pain. I was running around with Kit for the Army for six and a half years. You know, at that point, I've been doing it with the counter assault team for two and a half years. Uh, just, you know, it, you're not supposed to do that to your body. It's not, it's not good for you. Everybody knows it. Uh, so I was actually in California, hiking with the Obama family uh, in Yosemite, doing a, a Father's Day weekend trip with them, and you know, my hip was hurting. My back kind of seized up I'm like oh this is this is not right but I go see my doc and he's like just stretch some more mm-hmm. like or stop doing your your job I'm like well I'm not gonna stop so I'm gonna stretch some more pain all kind of kept getting a little worse a little you know just a little more annoying as as I went since the doc didn't give me a good answer let me try a chiropractor. Got some relief for a little while from that, and it, but it just kept getting, getting a little bit worse. And so he came up with the, the uh, differential diagnosis to use medical terms. That he was like, you probably tore some cartilage in your hip at some point. And I was like, I don't remember doing that. And he's like, well, as active as you are, it can just happen sometimes. So we do an MRI in February of. 2017 and then the next day waiting on results I still fly out to I actually flew out to San Diego to do to do some more work and that afternoon after I got here he called and he was you know telling us well uh, you have a few different uh, use the word lesions he didn't want to say tumors but he's like you got a few things going on in your hip that are not Normal. I need you to go talk to this doc, like as soon as you can. He didn't uh, didn't even tell me like what the what that doc did, but like okay, he's at this hospital. He's this doc. I Google him like anybody would. I'm like, oh, he's an oncologist. Like so, this like of course that call is bad, but you know now we're getting more information. Okay, this is really not good. Uh, I took the red eye back home. And next day, I get a CAT scan, and that's when they find 
and tumors just everywhere. Uh, what they decided was the, the primary tumor was about the size of a, a little bigger than a baseball in my left lung. Um, and by that point, like, I started thinking, like, with all the work that I've been doing, like, I, I'm just getting out of shape. Like, my run times keep getting a little worse, but at no point did I think that's what it was. Um, so we find out, like, through that MRI, like, I'd actually, I had a fracture on my pelvis. Um, so I had a baseball in my lung and a fracture in my pelvis and was still working. <laughs> Uh, so yeah we go through the process of trying to you know figure out what's going on find a doc don't really care for him fire him go find another doc at Johns Hopkins we really like we're still working with him uh, yeah we've been fighting for just over two years now and then on top of that you're you're well, as I mentioned, you guys, your um, ODA team got something like, I don't know, 12 or 13 silver stars amongst them. It was 10 silver stars, three or four bronze. Though the Air Force um, Cross for the, the Air CT. Force Cross. And you were one of those, you were one of those silver stars. Yes, I was. And they, the, the government, or yeah, the military, basically, I forget what year it is, maybe 2000, 15 or 16, they started doing a, uh, a service-wide review of mm-hmm. all of the awards that had been handed out or awarded to see if they all all kind of matched up and w- w- were where they should be. And I know actually uh, three of my guys who had um, been written up for Bronze Stars, they got they got advanced or they got uh, raised to silver stars but they they reviewed your award as well and um, they came to a, a conclusion that it should be upgraded and how'd you find out about that so I of course had heard about the review process that the Secretary of Defense had ordered never gave it a second thought just was going about my my day to day life I mean, honestly, I think like most soft guys, like just a add a boy and a, here's your next mission. <laughs> That's all any of them expect or want or or anything. So, in uh, August of last year, I get the first call on on my home phone. You know, we still have a. It's, a, it's part of that triple play package. You know, they get you with the home phone. Like, I don't want a home phone. They're like, it costs more to not have it. Like the landline. Yeah. Cycle. <laughs> yeah. So somebody, somebody calls. They left a, they left a, a, a voicemail on that. Is it, is it even called a voicemail when it's on the answering I think machine? So. Answering. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but they 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 called and left a message, and they claimed that they were from the Pentagon. And they, they said we needed to talk to Ron Sure. And I was like, this is, it almost sounds legit, but it's definitely a scam. I'll call him back <laughs> and just. Speaking of credit card fraud, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> so I call him up and they're like, we need to set up a call between you and a high ranking DOD official. And so I'm like, well, who, 
who? And they're like, we can't tell you. I'm like, why? We can't tell you. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound right. So go to send me an email from your official dot dot mill <laughs> to my secret service email. Launch it over there. We'll just just to verify who you are because you say you're from the army. You're at the Pentagon. You're G one. <laughs> I get calls from them all the time. <laughs> you know, the IRS is always calling me saying I'm about to be arrested. Like, <laughs> so they, they, they sent me the, the message confirming who they were. And so I, just not going to tell me why. And they're like, no, I'm like, well, that's cool. I got a family vacation. I'm taking next week. Have this person call me after that. Um, but like I'd mentioned, we're we're in this uh, cancer battle, and so just before we went on that trip, I started getting some new pain. So we do some scans, we find out I got a little bit, a little bit of stuff growing, and we make a plan to deal with that as soon as we get back from our trip. So I go on my family vacation. We come back, and we start radiation basically the next day, just trying to get control again. So this person, uh, the army, they start calling me again, like, hey, we're going to set up a a date for this person to talk to you. And it's like, okay, cool. Do you have any idea right now? Or are you just... No, we, my wife and I uh, were trying to, like, brainstorm. Like, I, I knew about the review process. Did that uh, even click in your head? I, I think at one point, so... With the the email, like the the not subline, but like your name, and mm-hmm. then this is my job. Is how important I am. Oh, blah, blah, blah. oh yeah, the, the uh, signature the line. Signature line. Yeah. Uh, I see that, and I see I see what it is. So I, I Google that because I don't know who this person is or You're what an it is. Investigator. So I started going down that chain, and at one point we actually f- found out that it there in the long process of the Medal of Honor, they're, they're one of the many tiers. But my wife and I kind of look at each other and we're, you know, just kind of chuckle it off. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, but, so we're like, well, maybe, maybe, you know, I... You got a witness I, for somebody I, I, or I whatever. Had a, I got a witness for something. I signed up for the, you know, the, the burn pit registry that's out there. Like, I'll, I'll sign up for that. I'll... Maybe it's something to do with any of these numerous things. So uh, the day that I'm supposed to get the call, I'm oh, uh, teleworking that day because I just finished up some radiation, feel awful. And so um, I get the first call from the military saying, are you going to take your call later today? I'm like, yes, I'm good. Then... One of my friends ends up calling Miranda and says, basically, stand by for Ron's boss. And so he gets on the line to talk to Miranda, and he's like, is Ron good for a phone call today? (laughs) And she's like, yes, Ron's fine for a call. Is this the call that we've been talking to other people about? And he's like, yeah. And like, why are you calling? we, We just can't process. Like, why is he now calling us? So... He's like, are you good for your call? Like, yeah, we're good for our call. The Army calls me back again. 
you good for your call? I'm like, yes, I'm still good for my call. I'm going to run out of battery, though, <laughs> if you people keep calling me to check if I'm good for my, my call or not. So a little while later, I boss calls back again, and he's like, your call is canceled. Like, why are you canceling my call? And, you know, just trying to run through all the scenarios in your head, like, why are you doing anything with this? And he's like, trust me, it's good. And I was like, I don't trust you. (laughs) (laughs) But, but okay, I have no choice in this matter. So he ends up calling. And he's saying, next Tuesday, I need you to come into the White House with with Miranda, and you need to talk to the boss of the president's detail. That makes even less sense than anything (laughs) that's been happening so far. So uh, Tuesday, it's September 4th. um, We end up – he comes by our house, gets us, brings us in – into the the White House complex, and we go over and we start in the boss of the president's detail. We start off in his office, and so he meets us in there. He's like, you know, hi, Ron and Miranda. Thanks for coming in. Really appreciate it. Um, John Kelly wants to talk to you guys. So, of course, Miranda and I are kind of looking at each other, like trying to do like hand signals, like. And kind of where we we landed is like, okay, I, I think I'm going to get upgraded to a cross, which is an amazing honor, I think. And I think the Secret Service found out. And since John Kelly, the chief of staff at the time, you know, former general, we have that connection. Like, he's going he's gonna to bring me in to tell me. So we we spend some time in that that boss's office, and they bring us into the waiting room in in the West Wing itself. And so we're sitting there, just continuing to wait. And then uh, John Kelly comes by, and he's like, "Hey, Ron. Hey, Miranda. Thanks so much for coming in. I just want to talk with you guys for a little bit." And so he's like, "Follow me back to my office." So. We start following. This is crazy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so we start following him down. Miranda doesn't know the White House, so she's just tagging along. Like we're we're walking down the hallway, and I think I think we pass uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee's office, and she's like, "Oh, look!" Like she's just you know getting kind of starstruck by the by the office and you know, all, all the things. But in my mind, I'm like. You know, I don't want to interrupt the chief of staff mm-hmm. to the president, but I'm like, sir, your office is is that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, do you know where you work? <laughs> uh, but I'm just along for the ride. So we walk down the hall, we make a couple turns, and then he makes that left into what I know is the oval. And so I, I get to that threshold. I see the president sitting at his desk. And as soon as I hit that threshold, I can see there's cameras, so there's video, and there's still cameras just going crazy, just White House internal stuff, just clicking away. And at that point, it was definitely like, you know, oh, shit. Um, this did not go. <laughs> Today kind of got out of hand. Uh, so the president gets up. He shakes her hand. You know, you did not expect to see me today, did you? I'm like, 
no, I wasn't, wasn't planning on it. Uh, I honestly can't remember everything, you know, just the usual platitudes. Thanks for your service. I heard you were in Afghanistan. Like, yeah. And he's like, did you know you're getting looked at for Afghanistan? I'm like, no. He's like, well, just want you to know I just approved you to get the Congressional Medal of Honor. And honestly, at that point, it all just kind of went to white noise. I couldn't, I don't know what else he said afterwards. Um, we have the pictures, and you can you can flip through, and you can see the moment where he tells, because I have a definite what the are you saying, <laughs> and my wife is starting kind of that happy, happy cry. Uh, but, yeah, so we had had no no idea that I was getting I mean I knew generally that things were getting looked at but I had no idea that my packet would stand out or not stand out or or anything um, so yeah we, we got out of there the 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 boss that had um, basically found out it was you know government efficiencies like that day I was supposed to get the call they kind of went down the hall and like does this guy work for you like <laughs> I've been emailing you from a Secret Service email address for weeks now. Uh, but so it was at that moment they were like, does he work for you? And they're like, yeah, he works for us. And he's here in D.C. And he you know, he has a White House pass. He can walk in the little White House anytime he wants. Uh, so so they, they coordinated that. They made sure the, the counter-assault team for that day, they were all – uh, we had, you know, Marine, a Green Beret, uh, some more Army, and another Marine, uh, just all Army guys who all kind of got it, and then they found out, like, as I was finding out, and so went and saw them, and, you know, the whole whole thing was just super surreal, trying to figure out why me, why, why not, why any of it. Um, I remember... It was soon after that, the the, uh, the colonel from the Pentagon, she called. She's like, so you've obviously not talked to him. You know you, you, you know why we were being secretive now? And like, yeah. And then she said a lot of stuff about, like, you know, how the process is going to work and, and other things. And at the end of it, it got to the point where I was like, ma'am, I don't remember a thing you just said. <laughs> But I don't have a uniform, and like I don't know why that. You've been out for seven, eight, nine years or something like that. May of two thousand nine is when I got out. So this is me. That's nine and a half years. Yeah, next month will be ten. So it was nine and a half years since I got out. So yeah, it was the last thing that I thought was was coming. I mean, I'm obviously super humbled by by it but it was definitely the last thing I thought would come my way I still remember feeling almost guilty calling my teammates to let them know so like hey can you can you come to DC on October 1st because I'm I'm getting the Medal of Honor and I felt like I had to apologize to them like the team was amazing that day the team did everything and a lot of these guys you know, kept going for years and years after I got out. Like, I don't know why I'm getting this. 
Well, it's, it's awesome. And I'm sure they all thought to themselves, well, uh, the, maybe the fact that you saved my, my life and kept me alive <laughs> might be the reason. <laughs> so, yeah, that's an uh, unbelievable, awesome story. Um, and it sounds like there was definitely some good, uh, smooth government operating in there as well. <laughs> in the end, they, wor- they worked out. It worked out to be a pretty good secret. Yeah, it's they, pretty awesome that they kept it from you. They kept it, you know, after we stepped out of the Oval, you know, John Kelly's like, sorry, I had to pull a trick on you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like such an honest guy that he felt guilty about that. You yeah. Know what I mean? Like such a good like, guy. He's like, like, hey, I'm really sorry I had to it, do that. It's okay, sir. Like, I, I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, how, when when you go, talking about the cancer a little bit, when you go in for radiation, when you go in for chemo, like, I, I, you know, I've known people that have gone on chemo before. It's like crushing uh, physically. Uh, so, with with my treatments, we're we're in a reassessment phase right now uh, to figure out uh, what we're doing. But for the last couple of years, I've been on. Uh, it's a not to get super far out in the weeds, but it's a, a targeted therapy for my for my very specific kind of lung cancer. And so I take one pill every day and you know it's got me two years down the road uh, so it, the there's ups and downs with it um, some you know definitely some side effects I think generally speaking it's better than what you think of is chemo got it um, I know it's uh, pissed off a lot of uh keyboard warriors and, and the sergeant majors out there in the world like I didn't shave for the for the the ceremony and it was like well because I had a, a rash from from my treatment so I, I physically couldn't shave at the time but some people took offense like sorry I really I I I, I, I want I oh man like, and it, it was you know I just, that's awesome. Just, that's that's only in America. Could you say, "Oh, that guy got the Medal of Honor"? You might want to shave next time. <laughs> that's that's professional jealousy at its finest, right? Yeah, there. and <laughs> so I made it. it try not to chase down too many of the people, but a few of them are like, "Oh, just so you know, like this is why. Have a nice day." And, yeah. <laughs> And then what are you doing day to day now? So are you still, do you wor- are you working right now, Secret Service? Do you have to put any time with them? Are you on like some medical leave right now? Did you stay in the Secret Service? Uh, yeah, I'm still still with the Secret Service. Um, a few people have asked me now what the medal, like is the Secret Service just a cover? I'm like, no, that's <laughs> what I do. Well, I have to admit that when I was talking to my wife, you know, my wife has been talking to your wife, and um, I said something along the lines of, like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, and he's in the secret, he's in the secret service. And my wife said, and my wife's a Brit, so she doesn't like fully comprehend American government like an American does. But, you know, I said, so, you know, we'll, we'll probably talk about, you know, him being in the secret service. And my wife, of course, literally says, but isn't that a secret? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, good cover, a cover for your uh, covert operations that you're now conducting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, it's uh, so once I once I was uh, diagnosed a couple years ago, I just switched over from being operational counter assault to when well, I'm going to say operations again, but now I'm in the operations section. Got it, got so it. So I it. just 
send emails to people and I'm, I'm a keyboard warrior myself now. I, like you are not working hard enough, work harder, send. <laughs> and you might wanna shave while you're working harder, by the way. Yeah, and and that's, uh, and then you got your, your wife and your kids, and how old are your kids? Uh, our, our boys, uh, our older son, Cameron, who, said it was was three months at the time of the the battle he's he's 11 now and our younger son Tyler he's he's eight so you know my wife has you know multiple full-time jobs you're trying to keep those kids you know where they need to be when they need to be there like with the secret service um I can't remember the exact day count but the, the last year I was like fully able to travel and everything I traveled like 130 days or something and you know, at least with like the military time deployments, like you're gonna leave in August. Like, okay, that's in the future. I know when it is, you're gonna be gone for seven months. Whereas, you know, the Secret Service, we're dependent on people. Mm-hmm. Like, does the president wanna go over here? If he does, we're going. Guess what? It doesn't matter what we had scheduled next week, it's mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, so, you know, in that 130 days doesn't sound that bad. It's two days here, three days there, a call at 8 p.m. tomorrow morning, you're on a plane at 6 a.m., get packed. So, you know, she's, she's been, she was amazing at balancing all of those things that came, came with the job. And then, then I threw in a monkey wrench with the whole I have cancer everywhere. Let's make it more about me now. (laughs) (laughs) So, because the kids were, um, what was that, kindergarten and third grade, I think, were the ages I diagnosed. Like, they were just starting to get a little bit easier. And, you know, she's kind of coming out for air, like, hold on. I need to to challenge you a little more. Sorry about that. Well, it's, uh, you know, sounds like, and I met her today, seems like awesome, awesome woman, awesome family. And um, I mean, uh, just an incredible story from from everything that you've done and and what you've been through, what you're going through. And the perseverance that you're shown is just um, perseverance that you showed. And the perseverance that you continue to show is just, it's it's awesome, man. And um, probably probably as good a place of any to uh, try and wrap this up. Um, But, you know, man. Thanks for coming on, and and really, thanks for thanks for giving an example to everyone of you know how to how to train, how to fight, and how to live. It's uh, it's awesome. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and you know, I'm not just you know saying this because I'm on your show. Like I, I I've been listening to your your uh, podcast for a long time. I I've listened to, to many different episodes, but there's one in particular where you you know you do the book. Mm-hmm. views and um, the, a man's search for meaning mm-hmm. you did that one i think like two or three months after i got diagnosed and that was just, i mean i like to think i'm a determined guy and like i can focus through stuff but you know the cancer battle is definitely very different than an army battle like again we get discussed earlier like if you can shoot me i can shoot you yeah we'll see this is that kind of behind the scenes unknown enemy and so just you know hearing about like that book and then I immediately went out and got the book read it like just stuff so you know your podcast is definitely you know not only on those 
long, boring nights where you can't sleep because this <laughs> this hurts or that hurts. Like something to listen to, but it's it's definitely been very meaningful uh, to me in in those respects. So I I really appreciate it, and hopefully, hopefully, was somewhat you know interesting today. Oh man, no, it's it's, it's awesome, um, and. We'll, we'll keep doing it. Echo, speaking of the podcast, speaking of, um, you know, taking the fight to the enemy, sure. seen and unseen. Sure, yeah, big time. I know you like to, you know, give us some ideas, sure. some some help along that some path. Some tips. Yeah. I have a question first. Okay. The, so when you got hit in the arm that time that you didn't realize it or whatever, like what was that? Like a ricochet or something. Just the bullet, dude. Yeah, yeah just, but like, what was it, you know what happened with it? Oh, I mean, it's the tiniest little scar. You can barely see it. It's like there. a like a like it just barely grazed you, kind of thing. Yeah, it grazed. I mean, when I when I got the uniform off, I mean, there was there was like there was cut, there was bleeding, there was bruising. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I couldn't. Because it's a kind of so much stuff is going on that like boom yeah you get hit but then it kind of gets blended in with all the all the rest of the chaos oh, kind of thing yeah I mean so much with with the the airstrikes and stuff that we've been talking about like yeah. stuff was stuff was just hitting you yeah, stuff was yeah, just yeah. falling on you stuff huh. was it was just stuff was always going on it's crazy. Um, so you just yeah sort I was of get shot you know. <laughs> It's, yeah, I, you know what else is crazy is I, I just you know like Echo doesn't ever write anything down during these things, and you made that statement like probably like forty five minutes ago, but Echo's just been sitting there thinking like, dang, what happened? Yeah, well, <laughs> can we expand on you, that? Yeah, you when just my sort of time said, comes, I got that question. <laughs> I'm coming at you, Rob. No, well, yeah, you sort of wonder because you just sort of mentioned it, you know. Like, oh, kind of like on, you ever watch Terminator 1, the first one, where they kind of recover from the shootout and then they're under the bridge and then and the guy, she, um, Sarah Connor goes, hey, like, what's up? You know, he goes, oh, yeah, he got me right there. And he just sort of glosses over it. Mm. She's like, you you got shot? Like, oh, what's up? That's how I was feeling with you. You know what I'm saying? Well, luckily, it, man, it, it, it was, I did, did he get shot, but luckily, you know, for my sake and for the other people, just not knowing when it was, yeah, it wasn't worse because no big let, deal. Let let me keep keep going about about uh, about the job. Yeah, um, it's crazy, man. Crazy. Millimeters and inches. Millimeters and inches. But yeah, so yeah, if we're staying on the path, speaking of which, okay, let's start with Origin. Origin up in Maine, American-made company, American-founded company. Just an American company, I think. American. Sums it up yeah. nicely. But they go deep with American made, though. That's the thing. True. So anyway, so you're doing jujitsu, which we all are. You want a gi, you get it from origin. All made in America. New gi out, by mm-hmm. the way. Out. A real good one. Have you used it yet? Yes. I know you're kind of off the jujitsu for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Got a little, uh, got a little dinged up in the knee yeah. area. But you used it. Yes. Good assessment. Solid. <sighs> Legit, as we say in the in the industry. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, also, rash guards on there. Um, even the you know the existing geese are good, are exceptional. Actually, they're the best in the world. Factually, made by jujitsu people in America with American-made products. How much Materials. combatives did you do? How much rolling did you do? We did. Uh, we did a fair amount, and then. 
at some point, like I mentioned when that new team sergeant showed up and kind of reset the way we were training, uh, we did a little less rolling, and he found some guy just outside Fort Bragg who's like, I just been in fights in, I think he was from Miami. He's like, I've been in fights in Miami for for years and years. And he was really good at it, apparently. Uh, so we did a little less rolling with him because he, you know, he kind of brought up the point, like, with all the stuff you're carrying, if you end up on the ground, that's not a good day for you. Yeah. Well, so, if you end up on the ground, then you better know what you're you know doing, what you're even doing. with all that stuff on. Yeah. So, yeah, we he, he kind of taught us a different way, you know, of fighting it. If you get on the ground, yeah get back up as quickly yeah. as you can. Yeah. That's, I, and, I always uh, say like the primary the primary purpose of jiu-jitsu in a self-defense situation is to get up and get away from them, not mm-hmm. to put a triangle on them mm-hmm. or put a some kind of a you know pull guard. Pull guard on the guy. Yeah, like, yeah. that's no, not smart. Negative. So. No, and it, the other funny thing is like I always, you know, I always talk about jiu-jitsu being important and all that stuff, but like in the SEAL teams, people would get really into combatives, which is cool. I'm down with being into combatives. I am totally into combatives. I'm totally into MMA and jiu-jitsu and wrestling and boxing and Muay Thai and whatever else I can find that is effective. But if you have a choice between being really good at shooting your guns and being really good at arm locking people, if you're in the if you're in the military, it's better to be good at shooting your guns. Now luckily, I'm here to tell you you can get good at both. Yes, but sir. prioritize being able to shoot really well. Yes. Well, most of my workouts now with with the whole cancer thing are just walks. But uh, maybe I'll check out one of these geese and just walk around the oh, we the, the lake gi- and uh, well, we get we'll we look get weird you, at all. <laughs> get your geese for your kids too, because your kids should be doing jujitsu. That's for sure. Yes, agree. But also on there, they have other apparel items, fashionable. We don't, no, we don't Jock, use that Jocko word on doesn't here. like the word. He doesn't like the concept. I get it. But the fact remains, Pete, he knows that Pete Roberts, founder of Origin, yeah. knows a little bit about yeah. fashion. Pete, my partner up in uh, up in Maine, he's got like a little, he's got a little fashion sense to him. Yeah, you know a little, I mean? little sprinkle which, of it. Which sure. I have zero. So there's a contrast there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Pete will talk about uh, color. <laughs> Why are you gonna say it like that? Yeah, color is you know? good. Yeah, yeah, as long as it's black. Yeah, or gray. Or yeah. I get it. I get yeah. It, so, anyways. Anyway, also supplements. What best kind of supplements? Joint supplements. Apparently, when we were young, we're about the same age. I've estimated. When were you born? Uh, Seventy-eight. So I'm, I just yeah. turned forty. Yeah. So you're one year younger than me. Nonetheless, back when we were young, we thought. What? Protein supplements, right? Creatine. Remember when creatine came yes. out? Everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's the God, creatine. I drank that's so the much one. of that stuff. No, it as it turns ridiculous. out, it's not even as important, not even nearly as important as joint supplements. So, Jocko, of course, makes supplements. Jocko, joint warfare for what? Anti inflammatory stuff, glucosamine chondroitin. Super krill oil. Krill oil, very important for your joints. Um, keeps you in the game, even at our age. <laughs> It's I am true. tripling up on joint warfare right now to yeah. help the recovery process yeah. of my knee. Oh, yeah, man. The joint wear and the krill oil combo, whatever, yeah. when you're consistent, I mean, you could stay consistent, so I get it, but I have uh, experience with inconsistency. So <laughs> when uh, 
when I get consistent, man, it's like you're on this like road, like, you know, you get dinged up or whatever, but like you go, it's like they heal up so quick. And I don't want to make like, oh, you're like, uh, what's the guy, the X-Men guy who heals himself? Wolverine. When, I'm not necessarily saying you're like Wolverine, but you feel like you kind of are Wolverine. Mm. Like you, when you get, you know how like me anyway, when I get hurt or like dinged up, I'm like, dang, how long am I out now? You know? A week, two weeks, whatever. Like with this, I like I don't even worry about it. You're just in the game. Just in the game, consistently taking it. So I dig it. Is, is what I'm saying. Well, since you mentioned Wolverine, I'll say that with my, you know, SF and then cancer, like we spent more time, my wife and I, talking about the possibility that that phone call was somebody going to enroll me in the Deadpool yeah, program yeah, okay. <laughs> than with sure. any medals. Yeah, yeah. We legitimately had conversations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> given it everything, you know, yeah, you might be a good candidate for this this new program we're putting together. My right? little my yeah. little daughter, she watches uh, those, uh, what is it, Avengers? Is that what it is? <laughs> so she watches sure. that stuff. Does yeah. that have Wolverine in it? Uh, uh no, right? No, no that's X-Men. No. X-Men yeah. is Wolverine. Okay, well, she watches those things. Sure. One of, but the other day, and she's also kind of gullible, right? Because she's nine, and she kind of sure. lives a little she's bit nine. in a bubble. You know yeah, what I mean? And she's yeah. nine. Mm-hmm. But the other day, I started started this whole like thing with her where I was kind of telling her, I was like, yeah, you know. Because I was saying, oh, my knee. I was like, you know, my knee, it'll heal up quickly. And I said, and then I said, and then like I got the little idea in my head of something creative to play, a game to play. Sure. And so I said like, yeah, you know, it's weird, sweetie, because whenever I get injured, it heals up really, really fast. It, it, it's really weird. And it's always been like that. Well, not always. I said. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started saying, well, you know, one time it's really weird, but I, I had this weird memory of like mm-hmm. when, when I was in the Navy and I went to the doctor and then I didn't remember things for a while. And I remember like, them putting things in me and my, and her <laughs> eyes were so big she was so stoked uh-huh. for about another minute mm-hmm. and she thought i was Wolverine. <laughs> yeah because i started yeah. up when you start on when something comes from them right so it was her that said like oh how long are you going to be hurt for so the, right. she initiated yep, this whole yep, conversation saying, so that yeah. gives me a massive advantage in oh, this yeah. trick i'm about to play because yeah. i'm playing the trick based on on her reality. Right, yeah, it's know? not like you just it's came out, like, of yeah, out of the blue with some trick. with some trick or some yeah. conversation. No, yeah. it's part of what she, she, she randomly asked me on, yeah. you know? I wasn't just sitting there plotting on it. Yeah. Kind of. So that's kind of like your thing, how you make, like when you, um, when you come up with a plan or mm-hmm. a correction to a plan or whatever, mm-hmm. like how you lead people, and yeah. I see what yeah, you're yeah, doing yeah. when you do yeah. it, but <laughs> it still works, by the way. So you lead people to think that they made the plan. Yeah. See, I see that you just did that to your daughter. Yeah. She's nine, by the I way. practiced on her. But yeah, yeah, that's how. I, I see s- it. I get <laughs> it now. I get it fully. Yeah, check. Nonetheless, supplements, uh, milk as well, additional protein. Yeah. See, we, I still don't neglect the protein. Don't get it wrong. I just find the joint supplements to be... Somebody More, asked me on uh, Twitter yeah. if I was on growth hormone Are because you? of the way I looked. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> reasonable though, reasonable. <laughs> I said it was actually it was actually supposed to be a derogatory comment because it was one of those little clips that someone put up of me talking about something, and and then someone with the the, the shot right, came right. in and said. That why would I listen to this guy who looks, right. looks like he's been on growth hormone Chromag- his whole life, man right? Or and uh, and I just replied back like mm, I've I've never been on any kind of growth hormone unless you count steak <laughs> so anyways yeah, man. i have fun fun we, on twitter yeah, yeah. that's how twitter is twitter is twitter is it, i know you have twitter 
I, I don't use Twitter but you that don't much. Use it. I'm trying to trying to figure out an Instagram thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Twitter just still doesn't make sense in my brain. Instagram is also can be fun, but Twitter is basically just a bunch of one-liners. Yeah. It's just a bunch of yeah. one-liners. That's all it is. One-line zingers, and it's just 24 hours a day. If if you <laughs> want to sit there and make one-liners all day long, you know that's what you can do yep. with that thing. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. It's just one line. And the, what's what's lame about it? or good about it, depending on your perspective, is if you and I are having a conversation and you say something and I zing, like I I hit it, that took a little quick thinking. With Twitter, you could actually sit there and look at it for 12 minutes. You could look up words in the dictionary (laughs) if you wanted to, and you could say, oh, this is gonna be really witty, and you can plan it out, and you can do some research, and then you can respond. And for all anyone knows, you just looked at that and just threw it out there. You you just got the notification. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you just saw it, and I'm just throwing out this advanced shot Uh back at you. Whereas the reality is that's not what happened. So it's a really, Interesting. Now, I will say sometimes because I I go onto Twitter and I reply like a lot at once because I don't sit there and look at Twitter all the time. So then I go back and I just reply really fast. So a lot of times I will do things that are you know just like boom 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 boom. Mm -hmm. And occasionally I make mistakes. You know, there's someone on Twitter called the there's a Twitter thing called Grammar Police. Yeah. What do you What do you mean like an account or just a phenomenon? It's an account. Okay. I used and I was an English major. Ron, I know you're an economics guy, so okay. you're, you're in the numbers, I'm in the letters. <laughs> so I I put your, and again, I'm, I'm tweeting at a 47 tweets a minute, I'm just boom, boom, sure. and I used your Y-O-U-R instead of Y-O-U-R apostrophe E. No, it's apostrophe R-E. And so then and so then up pops like probably an hour later, up pops grammar police. Yeah. And it says and it's it's really I actually love the way they do it. They don't they don't they don't they're not disparaging to you. Uh, they just say, For your information, you used the wrong your. The proper uh, you know, the proper grammar in this scenario would have been to use Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, thank you, and please correct yourself next time. (laughs) Signed, Grammar Police. So I like the Grammar Police. That's That's a good good account. Yeah, dang. Anyways, so it's an deep. actual like account, account. Grammar police, like yeah. a person. It's not a bot. That's somebody's in there somebody. Well, it may be a bot. It may some... be a bot, but it's a grammar police account. You can follow them. I hey, should probably follow grammar I'm, police. I'm, gonna. I'm going to. Yeah. What, are, what are the pictures they share though? Just yeah. See, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter oh, no, doesn't need Twitter. pictures. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Don't have to, yeah. I thought you said Instagram. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess Instagram. You could just you, they could have they could have blown up a picture, an image of my incorrect you know usage of or no, it would just slide in the comments, right? Because you wouldn't really, you don't need a picture for comments, so it'd be like, true. Oh yeah, yeah you post yeah. your, you know, thing, and yeah. then they just slide in the comments. But they should know that hurts because, like, I was an English yep. major. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's the so, only way you'll learn, though. So yeah. there you go. Uh, we got to get you some uh, Warrior Kid Mulk for your kids, Ron. Do you, do, when you were a kid, did you ever drink strawberry quick? Yes. Did you like it? No. Okay, what about chocolate quick? Yes. Did you like it? Yes. Okay. All right, there you go. Boom. Well, <laughs> for me, strawberry quick was kind of like a big thing for me when I was a little the, kid. The, the fake strawberry flavors, <sighs> it's so hit and miss. Yeah, well, either one, if you happen to like strawberry quick, basically, are this kid's 
protein drink tastes exactly like that. It's delicious. It would be. It's delicious to me. It wouldn't be delicious to you. I guess you'd spit it out. I wouldn't spit it out. I'd be <laughs> polite. I'd, I'd still drink it. And be like, oh, this is good. Thanks yeah. for. Oh yeah. I see what you were doing yeah, there. Kind yeah. of response. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So you'd be cool about it. Well, your kids. Hopefully, they have better taste buds than you. They and definitely they'd be like, do. Whoa, this stuff is amazing. So, anyways, that's Warrior Kid Mulk, and it's. Doesn't have any sugar and it's actually good for you. It's got protein and vitamins and probiotics. It's awesome. So, yep. anyways, that's that. Also, Jocko at the store. It's called Jocko Store. That's where you can get apparel. Jocko apparel. Because you know, he, he's so can... fashionable. <laughs> yes. Well, you know. You see the dichotomy in this, <laughs> yeah, don't you? Big time. And try going there. The thing is, it's like it's not even fashionable. But here's the thing: I snuck. I had to sneak in covertly and insert. Elements, sprinkles of fashion. Okay. Pete Roberts style. Not quite that no, hardcore, no, but. hardcore fashion. You know, that dude like. Is. That dude's like way. Zoolander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in your mind, everybody. Uh, I'm like Zoolander in your mind. The, um, <laughs> so, put it this way. So, Jocko's design, right? It's like his thing. It's like not even design. The font he uses is like computer font. Literally not. So it's like OCR, whatever. So he's like, yeah, discipline equals freedom. You know, we'll put it on a shirt. I'm like, cool. So I look at it. I'm like, okay, I dig it. But at least I made the shirt, like the, the shirt material is like, you know, a blend and all this stuff. It's not like some cheap, uh, what do you call it? Like a boxy, uh, rugged. I don't call it anything. I call it a shirt. Yeah, see? And that's my <laughs> point right there. See what I'm saying? So the designs okay. are going to be super basic, non-fashionable. But when you get the apparel, you're going to be like, oh, this is really wearable stuff. This is really nice. That's what I predict you'll think, you know, if, if, or if history is any indicator. But anyway, uh, T-shirts on there. Uh, we got some lightweight hoodies on there, which, Jocko, are you even down for the lightweight hood? Because mm, so far, no. people, everyone now, every yeah. single person who was, like, siding with Jocko in real life. I'm not talking about Internet. Siding with Jocko saying, yeah, hoodies are for, like, when you're cold. You mm-hmm. need a, a, a heavy hoodie. Otherwise, why are you even wearing a hoodie? Just wear a shirt, right? Everybody now. Everybody who okay, has let's talk about something else. this is just ridiculous. The lightweight <laughs> hoodie have changed their mind. Every Guess single person. changed his mind? Dave Burke. Human being. Oh, good deal, Dave. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. yeah. Last yeah, night that, he's like, that was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> he's like. I was wrong. Yeah. This hoodie is outstanding. Oh, yeah. yeah. Factually, I already knew that. That's why we did it. Yeah. Got lightweight hoodies. We got t-shirts. We got rash guards for jiu-jitsu and other life. things. And life, man. And, uh, you know, some women's stuff. Hats, all the, some cool stuff. I think it's cool. People th- seem to think it's cool. Go on there. If you like something, get something. Chocostore.com. Ron, how'd you like that? How'd you like the tea? It's really good. I definitely... Uh Wait, it, yeah. it's the best tea you've ever tried? It's better than Strawberry Quick? It's way better than Strawberry Quick. I definitely would drink this, Strawberry Quick. I mean, if it has the extra benefits of the probiotics and the protein, maybe I'll drink a little extra. Okay. Yes, sir. But cool. if it's just Strawberry Quick now. Ron has been drinking Jocko White Tea with pomegranate. Anyways, it's certified yeah, organic, by the, the way. The good thing about it is it... it after you finish this can, you can deadlift eight thousand pounds, and that's that's proven. That's proven. Yeah. One hundred percent proven. Uh-huh. As a as a former former eighteen delta medic, I can help you run through the test, and you'll see it's a hundred percent. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you don't subscribe to it already, which is kind of ridiculous. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, depends. Oh, yeah. oh, and I just read a review. Yeah, a guy said. Um, he was going through like his top five podcasts, and and then 
our podcast came into his world as this is the podcast that I most subscribe and un- unsubscribe to. <laughs> okay. And, yeah, and he says, is. I subscribe to it because it's got great information on leadership and human nature and history and war. He goes, but I unsubscribe to it because they spend a lot of times on some episodes talking about jujitsu, which I don't do. And this this wasn't a review on iTunes. This was a review that he wrote in a blog. Oh, a blog. And tagged me in it gotcha. on Twitter. His own blog? Or? His own blog. Because people Damn. tag you in their blog so you'll read it, it and repost it and be Got like, this it. is yeah. great. Uh-huh. So I read it and I just commented back to him. I said, it sounds like you need to start doing jujitsu. Mm-hmm. You can thank the me later. Yeah, big time. <laughs> so there you go. Whoever that guy was seemed like a nice enough guy, but didn't want to do the jujitsu. That's that. So yeah, subscribe. And don't forget about the Warrior Kid podcast. Yes, sir. Oh, my daughter has a question for... The Warrior Kid the podcast? Warrior Kid, yeah, we'll go over it later. Okay. We'll pass it on to Uncle Jake if you would. But yeah, so yeah, that's a good one. Warrior also, Kid podcast is... Have you ever listened to Warrior Kid podcast with your kids? That Ron? I have not, no. Yeah. It's what it is, uh, the basic principles of life, I try and convey it in a way for kids that they can understand it, that they can appreciate it, and that they listen to it. Mm-hmm. As you know, I'm always quoting you with my with with my kids like discipline equals freedom. Right, like, right. Do the right thing, and then I'll I'll let you do more. Yes. And and you know what? <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are as a dad. Your kids are not going to listen to you as much as you want them to. So it's good if you come at them from another angle. The other angle is Uncle Jake, who can tell them about discipline equals freedom. So, mm-hmm. anyways, Warrior Kid podcast, check that out. And don't forget about that Warrior Kid soap from irishoaksranch.com. Aiden's making soap. Mm-hmm. He's a kid, but he's got his own business, and he's making soap on a rope right Dig now. It. Yeah, I'm using that Got a little piece of 550 right now, cord, a little piece of paracord. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So we've got that going on. Mm-hmm. And then you got YouTube. Subscribe to uh, YouTube so you can see Echo's legit videos, and if you want to know what Ron Sure looks like. Very handsome, by the way. Then you can watch this complete episode on YouTube. You can also see Echo's enhanced videos. <laughs> he yep. puts a lot of time and effort into them. Yes, sir. Which means that he puts a lot of time and effort into them. There you go, yep. And it, some of them are good. Some of them he puts a little too much time and effort into. You know, okay, cool. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, I dig it. What else? Psychological warfare. Mm. If, you're having, if you're having issues, a lot of issues or just a few issues on the path, you know, moments of weakness where you don't want to get up as early as maybe you think you should and you don't feel like it. That's what it is when you don't feel like it. This is a little bit of help to push you through any moment. Diet stuff, wake up stuff, workout, skipping workout stuff. That was a big one for me back in the day, by the way. Um, buy this them, little album. Them leg workouts. Not anymore, though, right? You're no, on sir. It. No, okay. no. <laughs> Not the arms work out either. So anyway, <laughs> you get this album. It's called Psychological Warfare. Little tracks on there of Jocko telling us, helping us through our moments of weakness. Really easy. 100% effectiveness, my experience. You know? Cool. Check out Flipside Canvas. It's my brother, Dakota Myers. Uh, Dakota Meyer, he is taking cool Legitimate. images. Yeah. And putting them on 
canvas vinyl in America here and sending them to you if you want them. Yeah. You know he has a, a straight up Jocko series now? Good, yeah, <laughs> the series. It's so epic. Anyways, check that out. Support Dakota and to what Dakota's doing. Yep, flip and side. If you, want if you want custom stuff, just hit Dakota up on, on Twitter. Because yeah. Dakota's like the nicest person. Yeah. You seem pretty nice too, Ron. But Dakota's really nice. Yeah. And he's always wanting to uh, help out. So yeah, there you go. Yes, Check it out. Flipsidecanvas.com. Also, on it. On it.com slash Jocko, by the way. Go there. This is where you can get your fitness gear. Whether it be for home, you got a commercial gym, whatever you like. Also, some good, what would you call the elk bars? Snack food, yeah, healthy like snack, snack yeah, food. Yeah, it's like Which healthy. You, you hate to even throw the word healthy on yeah, things because the stigma, yeah. like the cliche, like you buzzword. Yeah. You think you're eating chalk? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Um, on it.com. Get something from there too. Yes, keep you on the path and in the game, as it were. A uh, bunch of books. I read a bunch of books. Mikey and the Dragons. That's for younger kids. Way the Warrior Kid. That's for medium age kids. Mark's mission is the follow on to that. The new book three of Way of the Warrior Kid is coming out. It's called Where There's a Will. It will be available, should be available right now. How you like that? For pre order on Amazon. Discipline equals Freedom Field Manual. Extreme Ownership. First book I wrote with my brother Leif Babin about combat leadership and how you can apply it to your business and to your life and the dichotomy of leadership, which is the follow-up to that book, which is also about leadership, but it gets granular on those principles and on being a balanced leader, which is the best kind of leader to be. Echelon Front, that's uh, my leadership consultancy. And what we do is solve problems through leadership. It's me, Leif Babin, J.P. Donnell, Dave Burke. Good deal, Dave. Yeah, good deal, Dave Burke. Flynn Cochran, Mike Sorelli, Mike Baima, and Jason Gardner. I just realized Jason Garner doesn't really have a nickname. Yeah. Well, just a matter of time on that one. Go to echelonfront.com if you want us to come and help you work through whatever issues you have in your organization. We will do it with leadership. The muster coming up May 23rd and 24th in Chicago, September 19th and 20th in Denver, December 4th and 5th in Sydney, Australia. These are leadership conferences events I'm gathering with musters yeah so it's a muster that's what we call it we call it the muster and if you want to come to it you've got to register pretty quick they all the ones that we've done these are seven eight and nine this year the, all of them have sold out so these are going to sell out as well if you want to come get there early i won't be able to help you if you contact me a week prior to the event and say, hey, I really wanted to go. Can you just, uh, you know, throw me a couple tickets? And I know you for, I went to high school with you or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can't help you. You can't come. Don't be mad at me then. Yeah. Makes sense. <sighs> EF Online. That is our online training for leadership for people that can't come to the muster or you got a big company with 28,000 employees and you want them all to get trained in the leadership principles that we teach at Echelon Front, go to efonline.com and you can get your whole organization aligned and running in the right direction. And we've got EF Overwatch as well. And what we're doing with EF Overwatch is taking proven leaders 
from spec ops and from combat aviation and putting them into civilian jobs, civilian sector leadership. And don't always think you gotta hire somebody that knows everything technical about the situation. Hire someone for their leadership capability. It's easier to teach them the industry than it is to teach someone leadership. So efoverwatch.com, that's what you need. It's you need leadership. And if you wanna connect with Ron, he's on the interwebs. He's uh, kind of young on the interwebs. You're not um, super advanced. <laughs> I'm trying to, to to learn, especially with Instagram. and So I'm trying to slowly dip my toes into that and the toes are being and, dipped. And get to get that connection with the people who who feel connected to the story at all or, or yeah it's awesome uh if you do go on twitter it's ron underscore three nine six for instagram which apparently is ron's ron's gonna be the gram he's in the gram that's your main one that's 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 my focus that's your focus yeah. okay it's got the mission focus <laughs> and that is ron underscore sure s-h-u-r-e-r and then we also uh echo charles and i are on those as well and we're also on and we are echo is at echo charles and i am at jocko willink echo you got anything else no thank you ron you're the man ron congratulations well any closing thoughts, Ron? So, uh, again, thank you guys so much for having me uh, today. Um, whenever I, I come to talk about myself, I, get, I love talking about myself like I think most SF guys do. I'd rather, you know, my, my wife says that, uh, you know, I, I, I became a Green Beret, and it's the quiet professional, the, you know, you know, you just go out, you do the mission, you talk about it, and then I moved over to the Secret Service, which is, you know, has that kind of tagline, like, standing on the sidelines of history. Like, I want to do cool things, I want to be there, but I never want anybody to talk about me or look at me or <laughs> or do any of that. Um, but I, I appreciate the chance to come here today because, uh, you know, when I got the, the medal – you know, as part of processing it and trying to figure out what did I want to do with it. Um, you know, like right right now, from the global war on terrorism, we've been fighting for 17 straight years. Like Green Berets, you know, that's, that's where my heart is. Like they've been just out there getting it on the entire time. I'm, it's mind-boggling to me that I am the only living recipient right now representing that group. Rob, Robbie Miller, who was in Alpha 3-3, he was on the same deployment as me. He, he earned the Medal of Honor um, in January of 2008, uh, barely taking the fight to the enemy, but uh, unfortunately he was killed. He was the first Green Beret in this war, and, and now I'm the second, but I'm the first who can actually get out there and share. I share my story, not so you can be like, hey, Ron's awesome. Like Ron's just another dude on a team who had a an okay day in a bat in a horrible day but story so i can tell people that stories like that are going on constantly and you know i'm just I'm, I'm here to represent those guys who don't care if you 
you know, you could give them, give them an award, not give them an award, give them a pat on the back. They don't care. They just, they believe in the mission. They're out there doing the mission. They're missing birthdays and anniversaries and all those things for this country. And, you know, that's why I'm here is just to remind people about those guys, um, not so much myself. And, you know, to be able to, you know, just share a little bit of that story and then, you know, also to, you know, say thanks to my family for being so supportive. It's, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I got a medal because I was, you know, taking care of other people, but I have a huge support structure behind me. My wife, Miranda, like I said, was quizzing me through the Q course. Those were our, maybe not our first date, but by like week two or three, <laughs> like, okay, you're in the circle now. Now you got to help me because I can't give up a whole, I want to see you for a weekend, but I can't give up a whole weekend and not study. Mm-hmm. So just the support that um, she's given from then uh, to now to, you know, having a baby or being pregnant with, with some Green Beret who's overseas he comes back, sees the baby born, like, all right, good luck with that kid. I got to go back and take care of people. So the amount of support that I've had there and that my kids just putting up with all this stuff too, or just to be able to say thanks to them on a, on a bigger front, I appreciate that. And, you know, I touched on it a little bit with, with my cancer story. Um, I definitely don't want to be – I don't want it to be some like sad story, like oh, this guy sucks to be him, like or anything. I I just share it, just because I know there are other people out there who are getting diagnosed with cancer and they're getting those phone calls. And I remember that I remember that first call I got where it was like, you know, there's nothing you can do today, and and he meant like it was like a Friday afternoon. I just found out the day before and it's going to the weekend but that 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 crush of that well there's nothing you can do like what do you mean and so you know if I can just put out that story that there's always hope there's always more you can do and you know the cancer fight is not like combat where you get to go punch somebody in the face or shoot somebody in the face and and have that like the the cancer fight is you know, getting up and eating when you don't want to eat. It's the last thing in the world you want to do. Or you got to work out. Well, it's just go for a walk, you know, like just just those things. So I just want to you know, have a moment to be able to, anybody who's being affected by that, just say, you know, you're, you're not alone. It's tough. It sucks. However you got there, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about I don't. I try not to worry for myself why I got it, um, but it's just it's it's just the next challenge. Keep putting your one foot in front of the other, and uh, yeah, that's life. Awesome, man. Well, um, once again, uh, thanks, thanks for coming on, man. It's been awesome to meet you, and thanks to Zach, your buddy Zach, who kind of linked us up, and it was cool that he reached out to me, and it, it took us a long time to make this happen with everything that's going on in your world, and uh, I'm glad we were able to do it, so thanks for coming on. And uh, Absolutely, my pleasure. 
obviously thanks for your service and your sacrifice for what you did for this country and you know not just for what you did for the country while you're in the military while you're in the secret service but also right now setting an example for everyone for everyone that's out there for me for everyone to to follow and know that we can step up our game that we can go on we can do better and we can fight harder and that's what i see when i see you and uh thanks for for doing that for me and for everyone else and obviously thanks to everyone else out there in uniform that is defending our flag and our country to those that are serving to those that have served thanks to all of you out there thanks to the police and law enforcement firefighters paramedics EMTs dispatchers correctional officers border patrol secret service first time mentioned for the secret service and all the other first responders thanks for keeping us safe here at home and for everyone else out there remember that you might have to fight uphill you might have to fight against a hardened enemy that has more guns and more people than you and even in those situations remember the path of Ron Schur and the rest of special forces ODA 3336 remember to stand by your brothers remember to pick up that weapon remember to put one foot in front of the other and remember to keep getting after it and until next time this is Ron Schur and Echo and Jocko out